0: Hey, everybody, and welcome to Full Marks. I'm Ian Boothby. And I'm David Dedrick. And today we're going to be talking about the Marx Brothers film
1: Room Service. Yes, Room that, Service. Did I say it in the wrong way? I, it almost sounded like you said Broom Service to me, but I'm sure Oh, where not. they're all witches. <laughs> that would be pretty good. I would, see,
0: I would see a movie where they're all witches. That that sounds actually pretty good to they, me.
1: They run a hotel?
0: Yeah, a witch hotel. Yeah. which I'll, hotel? That's one of the gags that Groucho and, uh, and Chico do off the top. Which hotel? And uh, they just go forever. And then eventually, uh, Ab and Costello show up with mm. their lawyer. And they shut that whole bit down.
1: <laughs> well, that, that wasn't a, that bit wasn't original tablet, Costello. Oh,
0: it? I realized that. But they, you know, once I, they once they made yeah, it famous, it that's was true. theirs. That's true. So, uh, if you haven't listened to the show before, this is how it goes. Uh, my friend David over here is a big Marx Brothers fan and uh, enjoys doing so much research. You wouldn't believe it. Uh, so that's what he does every episode. Is he uh, looks into the background of what was going on at the time uh, that these films have uh, been. Done. And then uh, I, who is me... Uh, I, I make my living as a cartoonist uh, and a comedian, and I write comic books. I write for Mad Magazine, The New Yorker, and some other things. And The Simpsons, uh, Futurama comics. Uh, I like the Marx Brothers, but I haven't seen all the movies, including the one we're going to talk about today. So it's my first time around with a lot of this. So a little bit of a fresh perspective, a uh, uh, seasoned fans' perspective, a uh, bunch of research, uh, and uh, and that's how this goes. So you're going to get the research up top. Then we're going to discuss how we felt about the film uh later on but we might mix it up a little bit we're still learning uh you know that's the way it goes and if you want to listen to us do uh another podcast where we just ramble even more than this uh that would be the sneaky dragon podcast which this is a spin-off of a sidecast oh you like to call it a sidecast Dave made up a word <laughs> and so did shakespeare so who am i to judge
1: exactly more you than know one of the words
0: he made up shakespeare
1: is that right yep. he, he named himself yeah oh i didn't know that i yeah. didn't know Self gloss.
0: Yeah, he was a baby who named himself. That was what he was first most famous for doing. Self naming baby. So, Dave. Yes. Now, the last time we left the Marx Brothers, uh, they were uh, they had done a Day at the Races. Yeah. Uh, which, uh, you know, uh, was a successful film, mm-hmm. uh, really you successful. said. Uh, and so, where are they? Uh, where
1: do we join them today? Well, let's not leave a Day at the Races quite yet because a, a lot of stuff was going on in, in the. Uh, the background as they were as they were doing the movie as you know uh in the midst of a day at the races their producer the supervising producer of the film Ir- Ir- uh, irving thalberg passed away and uh that kind of left everything hanging like the marx brothers were essentially in nowhere they were kind of in limbo they had because they were um louis b mary didn't like them he wasn't a fan of the marx brothers so he had no personal stake in them staying at MGM.
0: Does he have to have a... Um, pardon me. Does he have to have a... Why has my voice gone so high? <laughs> Sorry. Apparently going through reverse puberty here. I'm so excited <laughs> about the show. Uh, why does he have to have a personal stake if there have been two successful movies back-to-back? It feels like nowadays, if you had two big hit movies back-to-back for a studio, sure, it sure. wouldn't be... You know, I personally am not on board with these fellas.
1: Well, to be fair to, to, to Mayor... Um, day of the races hadn't come out yet when this was going on okay so there was one successful film which you could think was a fluke was a result of thalberg's careful right. management of who of their style and made it made them start Made mm-hmm. because you know they were coming out of you know it's weird because duck soup wasn't a wasn't a commercial failure it wasn't a critical failure and yet it seems to have this weird reputation that it was a failure, and I don't know if it felt that way at the time. That because it was a step down from, say, Horse Feathers, because it, each film steadily went up, and then Duck Soup was a was a come down. Mm-hmm. If that was a disaster, if that was seen as a bad thing, as seen as you know, this is a sign that the Marx Brothers are on their way out. And Thalberg signing them, you know, and his th- when Thalberg signed them, he wasn't signing them and saying, "Keep on doing what you're doing," because I think it's great. He said, "I think you're funny, but I don't like your movies." I think your movies don't work, and I can make them work for you. Okay. And that was Thalberg's approach. Mayer's approach was, I don't want you signing the Marx Brothers. I think that their humor is out of date, and I think that, you know, pe- their movies won't be Okay, know, so how how long, okay, when he So now Thalberg's gone. So right. the person that you might be crediting with the vision that made the Marx Brothers okay. work in, at MGM is gone. And the other interesting thing is that the Marx Brothers were not signed to MGM. They were signed to Thalberg. So their contract was with Thalberg. It wasn't with MGM.
0: So what happens to uh, Thalberg's clients when he passes?
1: Exactly. So in their contract, it stipulated that they were, uh, their services were rendered, the Marx Brothers services were rendered to Irving Thalberg, not to MGM. And he would be responsible for supervising these services. Only in the event of Thalberg being incapacitated would a supervisor, with the supervision of the movie, be transferred to another person, and that had to be done with Thalberg's approval. Mm-hmm. And if Thalberg was incapacitated or left MGM after, if uh, sorry, let me just say it a different way because that uh, it makes it sound like the same thing. If Thalberg was incapacitated for more than four months or he left MGM, their contract could be, would be considered null and void. Oh, okay. they could terminate their they could sure. terminate the contract on theirs on their and the Marx Brothers could. So his death, obviously is the ultimate form of incapacitation. And so uh, two months after filming was complete, or not even two months, I think two weeks after, um, after, um, well, and here's the other thing is not just two <laughs> weeks after, sorry, I keep interrupting myself. No, but I just want fine. you to have a sense of what was happening is uh, mayor canceled uh, the work on the next, on the, the the screenplays for the next film for the Marx brothers. Mm. So essentially he, he, you know, he canceled the next movie. And so the ball was kind of in their, court and then sort of feeling probably rightly that mayor had little confidence in in them. Uh and knowing that they had uh, and knowing that they they uh, letter was sent two weeks after Thalberg's death, uh, basically uh terminating the contract. So I guess upon his death it was essentially the same as him leaving MTM. Right. And so they terminated the contract, so they terminated on their end. But I think Mayer made the first step by canceling the next film, essentially.
0: Right. So, okay, just to get this straight. Mm-hmm. So, when this occurred, their film had not yet come out. Uh, the races had, the, had not come out. Had
1: yet. not yet come out. Yeah, hadn't even been fin- hadn't even finished filming. Okay, so Thalberg died. Thalberg died in um, in October. No, in September. Thalberg died in September, I believe, because he died after Labor Day. And so then, uh, within two weeks, the Marx Brothers had terminated their contract. Now, there was still a month off. There was a month break between Thalberg's death and his his uh, brother-in-law um, taking over the... And I can't remember his brother-in-law's name for some reason, because I don't like him. All Lawrence. Right. Lawrence Weingarten. He took over the supervision of A Day at the Races. And then we had uh, this protracted rewriting of the screenplay that went for a long time until the shooting finally finished sometime in, in I think in July some late time sometime in the and so maybe I'm being a little too too late there but so then um, yeah so they had a, so basically they made the movie knowing they were going to be leaving in the meantime uh, you know so I mean they terminated their contract I think with the idea that they were free agents and they could resign with MGM they could because they couldn't sign I mean basically their contract was done anyway because with the death of Thalberg right so they would have had to resign with MGM anyhow correct yeah so, at this point, uh, Zeppo was their manager. He had, he, they, they had asked if he would manage, and he said he would. He did not enjoy it, but he said he would manage them.
0: Did he have other job opportunities at that time? Or? He
1: had over 250 clients at this well, time. Well, not so right. Fair he enough. Didn't have to, he didn't have to, to Fair manage enough. them. If, but, you know, their family. So, uh, so like I say, Mare wasn't interested in them. Uh, but there had been this bidding war between Warner Brothers, Paramount... MGM and RKO for the right screen rights to the, the film or to the play, the Broadway play, which was a hit play room service. Right. And a record amount of money was paid by RKO for this, for the screenplay or for the play, for the rights to to uh, film rights, I guess I should say. They paid $255,000 for the, the rights to, to make a, a screen ad- adaptation of it. So Zeppo went to RKO and he offered them the Marx Brothers. As stars for room service, and because I guess he looked at it as a opportunity where you had a pre pre written right play, already proven material. No need to take it on the road. The Marx Brothers could just basically fit into it with some alterations. Right, and
0: were they replacing the same amount of characters in the yes, play? Yes, there's
1: three characters in the play, three main characters. In but the
0: one play. wasn't a silent character in the no, play. No, that's correct. Okay,
1: so so RKO uh. He so he got them uh, two hundred and fifty thousand dollars, which was the most they'd ever been paid for a movie up to that point, and a percentage of the profits. And which uh now what's interesting is that room service had been offered to the Marx brothers a few years earlier by Sam Harris as a vehicle for a Broadway comeback. Mm. But they had turned him down. Okay. And so uh now Zeppo, like I said, he did not enjoy working for his brothers. Uh one thing, Chico considered himself to kind of be like the agent of the group. That's what he had basically taken over from his mum when he joined the act. He had taken over as sort of the manager slash agent. He was the one who, he was a wheeler dealer and he enjoyed that sort of thing. Not that that was outside of Zeppo's skill skill set either. Uh, But he was... Because he consider himself the de- the deal maker, he spent a lot of time making Zeppo go jump through hoops, making all these kind of spurious demands and changes and things like that to the contract that really made no sense or made much difference to the contract, but just I guess was a balm for his ego. right Groucher's only comment was they should have been paid more. <laughs> he thought they should have got350,000 dollars. Okay. and what are, what are your thoughts on that? No, I think what they got was perfectly adequate okay as, as uh, events would prove. Well, it
0: just feels like the uh, you know up until this point every one of their films has made money, mm-hmm. and then and then the last film did sure. quite well, yeah, and then as you know, uh, Day at the Races would also do mm-hmm. quite well, which they find out oh this yeah, seems yeah. like a, that's a good investment, yeah, it, sure it, it makes it makes sense to uh, to think that things are still going on. It's weird when you're saying like uh, you know, uh, Mayor's feeling that they were uh, out of date humor. Well, they're clearly not because like. You know uh, how how fast does humor go out of date? Yeah, clearly the people are buying it, so mm-hmm. y- you're incorrect. This is po- this yeah. very popular.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not saying that Mayor was being sensible. I just he, you know, he was an autocrat. Yeah, who ruled with an iron fist a, a huge movie studio and his his decisions whether they were we can, whimsical or not yeah. were, were... what
0: we can say though that yeah. that that he was incorrect in that yeah. you know when he's saying this is mm-hmm. out of date it's like saying sure. a a song is like uh, no one wants to listen to that kind of record and then it sells a lot uh, and they go like well I was incorrect uh well here's here's my question to you then sorry to throw you off maybe no, your fine. game here that's fine. uh was there a more successful uh comedian in film at that time or were the Marx brothers the a game at uh when when they were doing these
1: well it's a good question i mean there i guess i would say charlie chaplin was still considered sort of the big okay uh, you know i mean he didn't produce movies very frequently right i mean he'd made i guess modern times was his last silent film and he hadn't made the great dictator yet at this point but he still would have been kind of riding on his reputation okay as a as a great, I mean, and as meeting. good as
0: that is, that to me feels like if you were to say what humor is out of date, Chaplin. So, yeah. You know, it's silent based. You know, but comedy. at that
1: time there was still a taste for that. His sentimental sure. movies, and and he was still considered the king of comedy. Mm-hmm. You know, like and the and the excitement of the idea of him producing a talking picture, which he was going to do with the Great Dictator, right? Was was pretty okay. People were pretty enthused about it. I mean, there was also Laurel and Hardy, W. C. Fields. Would have, those would have all been kind of the, the top, top echelon of, of comedians at that time, and then of course the huge amount of screwball comedies, which weren't really team based movies, but were very popular films. Mm-hmm. At the, you know so there was there was a real taste for, for that sort of comedy uh, that uh, you know kind of a wild, that sort of wild comedy with a lot of yeah basically farces like the screwball comedies are basically like romantic farces this kind of like slightly more yelling. Yeah. When you say when
0: you're saying that uh, like WC Fields and uh, and and Charlie Chaplin were the top at the time it feels like you get almost all that with the Marx Brothers anyway. You get the Witticisms. Sure, sure. I, and I'm including the Marx brothers in that too. No, I get just, that but yeah, what yeah. I'm saying is you get the wordplay of like mm-hmm. a WC Fields. Sure. Uh, you know, and they kind of pulling a fast one. You mm-hmm. know, he's the he's the guy who's always trying to pull a con. That's your Chico, but the wordplay is more, yeah. Is, is, yeah. is 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 your Groucho and then when you've got Harpo you're getting the silent film uh stuff going on that you know a chaplain would deliver mm-hmm. with a bit of the sweetness yeah, yeah. as well. So it feels like if this is what you're looking for yeah. you're getting everything. It's the Neapolitan ice cream
1: of uh <laughs> of, uh, of, uh, of Sure, course. I mean what I mean. I don't think you could watch a W.C. Fields film and say, "Oh, the Marx Brothers could have done this." But uh, but I, I can see. But what if you're
0: you talking the type of comedy that W.C. Fields does, is the con con man comedy. He didn't really. do, a, com-
1: I think you're mischaracterizing his comedies. Actually, he didn't really okay. do. He, he played a couple movies, and I know it never gave a second even break. Mm-hmm. But that's. I mean, he's not, the movie itself is a movie within a movie. Yeah, of okay, him trying fair. to sell a screenplay. Uh, there is there is a circus film uh, which is not called that but it has another name. No you can you can't cheat an honest man. Right. And that has an element of that too. I think
0: it. here's what I'm here's what I think is prejudicing uh, me on this is that everyone had the picture of WC Fields playing poker. And he looked like oh, the for guy Oh my little chickadee, yeah. Yeah he, yeah, he looked like he was the con guy mm-hmm. with cards and that to me reminds me of of yeah. uh, Chico sure, sure. doing doing his card con uh, mm-hmm. business.
1: Yeah, we WC Fields did, he tended oh, to Oh, my little Chico! That would have been good if they Chico, both <laughs> they they both have gotten together on got that. Got him for that. Uh, they he tended to play a more uh, a more everyman character, Sure. a put upon everyman a bank character. dick. Like, yeah, it's a gift, be, yeah. and they yeah the bank Dick. Whereas family is a nightmare, and he's you know he's not that he's the greatest thing since sliced spread in that movie, but he's doing his best. Fair enough, he's doing his best. Well, thank you for the diversion there. And <laughs> there we go. Um So. Uh, Zeppo still harbored some resentment for his years working with his brothers as well, so he he really re- resented being bossed around by them. And so basically, he just he just got tired of it. He handed them over to Gummo, who and Gummo had joined joined his agency as a as an agent at this point. And so Gummo took over the reins of of keeping his brothers happy. Um, so the Archeo deal was announced shortly after a day of the races was, re- was released in June of 1937. So basically, mayor received the news. That the Marx Brothers were, had were, had left the studio, effect f- basically left a studio, okay. to make a, a new movie when their most successful film to date was being released. Like this movie was doing even better business than A Night of the Opera. People were saying Marx Brothers had a sanitarium. How can we not go see this movie?
0: You'd have to be crazy not. You'd to. have to be crazy
1: not to see this. Uh, so Paramount and Columbia also made offers to the Marxists, but they had agreed in the Arkeo deal to make two additional pictures. So uh, Archeo had, and here's the interesting thing, is Archeo had just acquired the rights to Of The mm-hmm. I Sing, the long-discussed Marx Brothers film. This is a film that had been mooted as being a Marx Brothers film for for at least the last three years of the Marx Brothers' career. Uh, and Coffin must have been so worried at this point. Okay, he's thinking, oh, this is too much, this is lining up too well. This is a movie I don't want the Marx Brothers mm-hmm. to do. This is a play I don't want them to do, because I think they'll ruin it. Even though I like their movies, this is not the play for them, and I don't think they should do this movie, which they didn't. And in fact, it has never been adapted to the screen. Hmm. That play, it's probably too dated now. I don't really know it. You know what? It might be in public
0: domain now. Someone go out there and just get it. Uh, uh, early
1: thirties. I don't think so. Maybe, maybe. That's ha- that sounds. That sounds like the life of someone. Yeah, 70, it, it's has more to be, than seventy when years. When he died, though, it has to be when he died, right? Okay. Not from when it was written. All right. So he wouldn't have died until the fifties, probably. Okay, and we're yeah. getting up there. 70, we're, getting there. Yeah. we're getting there. We're getting there. We're getting there. So, from the profit sharing of a night at the opera and a day at the races, like I know that a night at the opera made six million dollars in the theaters, and day at the races made more, and um, the Marxists were, were getting fifteen percent of of the uh, of the profits of those films so they're really they were really wealthy they're actually joining like the the upper crust of hollywood with the society. exception of
0: chico who can't hold on to Well a here's, a,
1: here's the thing yeah okay so but he was still getting lots of money
0: oh like yes
1: so it came as but, it,
0: but you can pour a lot of money in the sieve as well it doesn't mean the sieve mm, is full of there you uh, go
1: so you can imagine what a surprise it was when newspapers published a photograph of a two thousand dollar check written by chico that was found on the a body of, of a gambler named George Bruneman, who had been ambushed and shot to death at a Los Angeles bar. Ooh. Now, Chico denied knowing Bruneman. He explained that he had written the check two years earlier as partial payment to another guy named Morris Green, who was an associate of Bruneman's. Chico had owed this guy $4,000 in gambling debts and paid him oh. 2000 in cash and the rest with the check. Uh, so, the, But the thing is, the embarrassment of this incident gave Groucho and Harpo the leverage to finally convince Chico to allow them to withhold money from mm. his earnings and try and build up a nest egg for him. So that was going on. So on March 9th, even before shooting on room service started, the Marxists signed another contract with MGM for th- a three-picture deal. So they had two pictures with RKO, RKO which yeah. po- which they could possibly do. So their their contract with MGM allowed them to work on outside projects, in a, basically in the event that RKO wanted to... to make them ful- fulfill their contract um so room service began shooting on june 27th 1938 and finished in august uh so they were quickly enough that it was out in september so it was quite a quick turnaround um so after like after the grueling day of the races shoot which seemed to take like five months or whatever that <laughs> to get now this is pretty good so um maury uh, riskind who worked on worked with George Kaufman on co- the Coconuts Animal Crackers, as well as the Night of the Opera, was brought in to do the adaptation of Room Service to make it, to sort of Marxify it. Okay. And basically he was charged with introducing sort of authentic feeling marks for their material into it, sort of jokes that would work with the, with their characters, uh-huh. and then, uh, and to rewrite the role of Faker as a mute. So all, basically most of the lines that Faker spoke were given to Chico's character, who in the play is named harry binion and he becomes uh benelli in the in the movie so his italian accent makes sense i suppose (laughs) uh because of censorship at the time the name of the play within the play was changed in the broadway version it was the play was called godspeed so characters are saying godspeed to each other oh okay and that's
0: the gesture and they say godspeed okay
1: and then they changed it to hail and farewell to make it more uh, except, but otherwise, you couldn't have Godspeed set in a movie at that time because of the production code. All right, and also Wagner's frequent outbursts were also toned down. So he, originally he was much more, a little more blue in his uh, in his expletives. They became jumping butterballs and other such things.
0: Was it jumping butterballs,
1: or was it something oh, else? Yeah, jumping butterballs. Yeah. Okay, jumping
0: butterballs. Okay, very good.
1: Was when he said, I mean, he said a few things.
0: Uh, no, 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 but it was mostly the Butterballs thing. Okay.
1: One interesting thing about the movie is that RKO kind of broke with standard practice at the time and used many of the original actors from the Broadway play. They, they sort of brought them over wholesale into the play. So Wagner, Donald McBride as Wagner, was in the original play. Okay. Clifford Dunstan, who played Gribble, was in the original play. Philip Woods, who is Jenkins also. And Alexander Azrow. Uh, the waiter, Sasha the waiter, was also in the original play. Uh, Philip Loeb, who in the movie plays Timothy Hogarth, actually, uh, the collection agent, was actually Harry Binion in the play. And he was acting as technical advisor on the film when the person who had been cast as uh, Timothy Hogarth for the film, something happened and he couldn't make, couldn't do the movie. So he was quickly, he just asked to sort of take it, take over that role. And so he did. Now, this guy named William A. Sider was brought in to direct. He was basically kind of an RKO farmhand. (laughs) He was sort of, you know, just a director of no particular style who could just do whatever. And he worked on a lot of good comedies, a lot of experience. He started in the silent era. He um, directed a lot of films for Wheeler and Woolsey, for instance. He uh, directed Laurel and Hardy and Sons of the Desert, one of their better regarded Mm -hmm. movies. He, we always have
0: one Wheeler and Woolsey reference per show. I want to see if that <laughs> continues. Were, well, that's the thing. Here's another example of that. Like, hey, folks, do you know who Wheeler and Woolsey are? I have. Have you ever seen a movie by them? I don't think
1: so. Not good. Oh, that's, that's, that's why you haven't. Okay. I've seen. I've seen the movies. They're, they're good
0: enough that we've mentioned them every show, and well, I, I want to see if we keep doing. They were every very show. popular
1: at the time, and I think they were very popular with rural rural audiences at the time. Oh, uh, okay. And I think that's and their movies are kind of slow, and they're not they're not pacey like a Mark Brothers film. They're sure. not. They're not full of. I
0: I could see people watching a Marx Brothers movie and going, "What's going on?"
1: Yeah, for sure. They lost me. What's happening? You know, when you watch a silent film, you know, if we judge that people's reading speed at that time was the, you know, was considered that's how long you leave a title card on the screen. They're up there for a long time for modern audiences. So I can imagine that there were, you know, areas in the country where people were not. We're just confused by these fast-talking screwball comedies and Mark's Brother films and whoever else wanted to do... Do
0: you know something I always wondered with, uh, with a... Sorry, to, just yeah, to, yeah, uh, no, a brief fine. divert. It's like when they have uh, silent movies, yes. you do have to make the assumption that people know how to read yes, for that. And, and that's a big assumption yeah. at some point. I wonder if there was ever silent movies where they went, here, we're going to do one show where someone's just going to be on a microphone and we'll just
1: read oh, the they, words they for they you. They probably did do that. Yeah, it I'm makes sure sense. You know. I'm sure they did, and that's why someone like Buster Keaton strived to have as few title cards in his films as possible. Mm-hmm. He wanted to have all information visually on the screen, not have it constantly communicated. It breaks the to, flow as well. breaks the flow, and yeah. And plus, he was not a strong reader either, so he probably took pity on people. Just because oh. he, he never really went to school. He grew up as a, as a vaudeville child. Yeah,
2: he
0: grew up being thrown at the audience as a, <laughs> as a heckler a, <laughs> uh, routine. <laughs> yes.
1: Um, but, but he enjoyed it. He says he, he enjoyed it. He loved, sure, he loved
0: it. Um, he can't enjoy every day being thrown at the audience, but yes, let's hope. Let's
1: hope he really enjoyed it. Good. There's an interesting thing about. Um, well, there's an interesting thing about William Sider is, is apparently, if he had a disagreeable disagreeable actor, let's say, for instance, picking a name out of a hat, Lou Costello, mm-hmm. he what he would do is he would he would um, insist on following the script to the letter. And not allow the actors to add anything of themselves to the to the script at all. That was his kind of little passive aggressive way of dealing with people that he didn't like. He just became this this kind of like complete robot robot as a director, and didn't allow any sort of nuance or ad libs to a film. And I was thinking to myself, now I wonder if the Marx Brothers were a little too much themselves, and this film was filmed in that way. Not possibly that only things that were in the script were allowed into the film. It would explain some things. That we will get to later on. But on the other hand, the film was done amazingly quickly, which kind of implies that by this point, the Marx Brothers had learned their lesson and just to get it done, instead of you know making a fuss about it, just get it over with and then it's done. You don't have to way stretch it out you know longer than it has to be and also they're probably so happy that they weren't doing 20 takes or 30 takes that became on day of the races also
0: just money wise it makes sense to get a film done get another done get another Mm -hmm. done get another done and you can get another contract
1: yeah so uh last thing is uh room service was not a success for whatever reason the film lost about three hundred and thirty thousand dollars
0: okay i I saw it so that doesn't surprise me at all (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) yeah yeah um That's a hint as to how I felt about it. We'll get more into that later as well.
1: Okay. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) We will.
0: Um. But honestly, if you you were, say, if you just come off of Night at the Opera, and that film ends with spectacular trapeze stunts, Uh uh, amazing. Yep. And then you go into Day at the Races. And for, you know, it wasn't my favorite film, but, you know, amazing horse stunts, Big visuals. Yeah, yeah. Brilliant.
1: It has, yeah, it has big things happening. Oh, for sure. so
0: big. Yeah. And then... It has
1: a ballet, for goodness gracious.
0: Right. And then you come to this one, and it all takes place in one room, and people <laughs> going, I hope we we can get a sandwich.
2: And then it ends
0: with, you're going to see the play. What's the play? And it's a bunch of people standing around in an opening of a mine shaft, and uh, <laughs> that's it. Yeah. Like, a bunch yeah. of chaos happens? No. What's Harpo do? He lies perfectly still. <laughs> Which good for Harpo, you know he must have read the script and just been, oh, this is great. I'm, I'm I'm nothing at the end. So good. I'm in after 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 carrying the third act of the last two films. But like if that's what you were in the mood for, wow, this is this is so tonally yeah
1: an enormous yeah. shift. It is the first time I watched it. I did not like it at all. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a very disappointing film. However, watching it again, like watching it. I watched it last week and then I watched it again last night. Knowing what I was in for, I actually didn't mind it. Okay. I don't think the Marx brothers are great in it. I don't think they have much to do. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of eye rolling from Groucho because he doesn't know what else to do but roll his eyes. Yeah. He could play the ro- If he played the character straight, not as Groucho Marx, but as, uh, not as Groucho Marx the character, but it just says Groucho Marx the actor,
2: mm-hmm.
1: it would be better than him trying to fit it to his Groucho Marx character. Do you know what I mean? Like if he just did it like he did right. a later film, that would have been fine. You know, or if you picture the film starring like Cary Grant as the, the, the manager and, you know, uh, someone else, Jimmy Stewart as, you know, just whatever, just some experience, some good light comedians or whatever, good light comic actors doing those roles. It would be an okay. It would be a good movie. Whoever did it on Broadway. Yeah. You know, I mean,
0: obviously they didn't do a Groucho Marx style on Broadway and it was an enormous hit. Yeah. Yeah. I think that, I think the big problem you've got with, uh, with groucho is uh he is shadowed by all the other groucho roles he's done yeah like you think of uh the coconuts and uh, you know as the ship's pulling uh pulling away he goes do i have time to pay my hotel bill no you don't that's fine by me and then he like leaves and it's like that's groucho does he (laughs) want to pay his bill yeah no he doesn't no so he's happy to not pay his bill yeah whereas this starts with groucho you know oh the bill and then Groucho is like, "I gotta find a way to pay that bill. Mm-hmm. Why does Groucho give a damn about paying his bills? <laughs> <That's> <laughs> like right. this is not Groucho. That's not that his op- In fact, yeah. not yeah. is it. Not only is it not yeah. Groucho, it's the opposite of Groucho. And you had a problem with the last two films about the Marx Brothers being just straight out good guys. Yeah, yeah. Like they are serving uh, the romantic leads, sure. and and they're little angels mm-hmm. that are you know a little bit uh, a little bit naughty, but they're but they're you know. And in this one. They just have. They're just normal people. They're just normal people yeah, yeah. really worried about paying the bills. Sure. And like the Groucho of a Coconuts would have had no problem solving oh, any no. of these yeah, problems yeah. in the first five minutes. <laughs> exactly. And then we would have had something at the end with Harpo ruining the play. <laughs> right where good. he won't yeah. stay dead yeah that would be you good. know it would be some chaos and then that mm-hmm. becomes the big hit play because the play itself is a stiff yeah. and it's like oh no but like oh they love this chaos and madness that the marx brothers brought to it you know what this drab play you've really fixed it up this russian melodrama hooray for you and then that's the end it's a happy end yeah 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 yeah, no, no. While I, they I, while the hotel burns down because uh, you, you know they set it on fire. Again, I mean, that's the thing too. Like you told me in a previous, uh, w- what was the uh, horse feathers? Yeah, it's supposed to. Like the, the original ending is them sitting around playing cards while the university burns around yeah, yeah. them. So in this one, where you see Harpo is literally setting a fire in the hotel room. Yeah, yeah. Oh, uh, here we go. Here's that manic chaos and. Ah, uh, there goes uh, everyone's putting it out. Yeah, they're putting it out. They better put out that fire. It's like that's not
1: what they do. They fan the flames. <laughs> oh
0: mercy i agree with
1: everything you're saying
0: all right very good And Let's...
1: i understand your feeling because i felt the same way the first time i watched it It's mm-hmm. like what am i what kind of movie is this this is not a marx brother movie boom well
0: i'll tell you something that happens to me when i'm watching a movie yeah and my wife my wife knows this and yeah. i've turned to her and like uh again i'm not going to use a swear because we don't swear on this but would you give me a word that i could use instead of a swear word any word fudge fudge thanks good okay <laughs> So I will like be watching a movie, and I'll be sort of enjoying it, and I'll go, wait a minute. And then I'll turn to her, and I'll go, hey, hon, it's a fudging play. <laughs> right? This is clearly a and play I'm watching. Because everyone's in one room, and everyone's facing forward, yeah, and yeah. no one's turning around. It's a fudging play. Yeah, and yeah. it's always disappointing because I'm like, oh, a play is fine. Sometimes you can do a few good men and it's all right. But for the most part, it just means there's going to be a lot of talking. No one's going to do much. Yeah. They might try and add some visuals, but it's going to be stuck in one room for this whole oh, yeah. fudging uh, <laughs> film. <laughs> yeah, so that was like, oh, no, it's a fudging and play. And then I looked it up and went, oh, it's a fudging play.
1: You were right. <laughs> yeah. So let's, let's start with let's start the film.
0: Alright, let's start. well, you, you you didn't mention uh some of the cast members here. You've got a Lucille we'll, Ball. We'll get there. Oh well I
1: thought I'd like in, to mention the cast the as they appear in the in the Oh
0: movie. well let's do that then. Alright, go ahead. Let's start it <laughs> off with Groucho and e- well first of all we start off with some animation. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, and they look chaotic and uh yeah, and, yeah. And, and crazy. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, now we're going. Now look at these guys. <laughs> these guys are nuts. Gonna let these guys run around a hotel. Oh boy. Oh boy. There people aren't going to get the room service they want. Let's see what happens. Oh, I can't wait. And then so the few crickets. Yeah. And we start with uh, you know, who's reading the paper? Someone with a cigar? Yeah. All right. Here, Here it go.
1: comes. Guy's got
0: a bill he wants paid. Now we're going. He classic. Signed,
1: he, he'll sign it
0: for you. Yeah, classic. All right. I'll sign that bill. Oh. That's great. A little bit of a witticism, but it's Yeah. Not much. Nope. And, and then, the biggest sin of all, the the waiter yeah. has a funny bit of business to do. And now Groucho's just sitting back watching this guy do a big funny scene.
1: Yeah.
2: Like, yeah. what
0: are you doing? Why are you starting your movie like this? Groucho's in the audience watching a guy? <laughs> What's this about? <laughs> At one point later, the guy starts dancing in a crazy way. And Groucho kind of starts dancing yeah. next to him. Yeah. But you're uh, putting a hat on a hat. What's this about?
1: <laughs> yeah. So anyway,
0: that, was, that was how the movie started for me. <laughs> yes. How about yourself? Go ahead.
1: All right. Well, let's. So the film opens mm-hmm. with one of the few shots that aren't in a, in a room. A hotel room. This yeah. is in a different room. Oh,
0: it's a thrilling scene.
1: It film opens on a sign for the Great White Wave Grill. Yeah. Where's that, we wonder? We cut to a waiter standing expectantly at a table where a man is hidden behind a newspaper. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the man lowers the paper, revealing Grocho. Yep. Oh, you're so happy. We learn that they are in a hotel because the waiter (laughs) would like Miller, uh, Groucho's character. And for that's another thing here. He's not like Rufus D. Firefly. He's not Otis P. (laughs) whatever. Driftwood, he is Gordon Miller. (laughs) It's almost worse than... (laughs) That's the
0: stupidest. (laughs) You call Groucho Gordon Miller. (laughs) It's so... Yes, this right? Movie is so,
1: you know, and he's he a theater understand. producer, so yeah. you
0: could have a crazy name. Mm-hmm. It would be fine. Sure, You could have a nice list of, you know, my other movies. And you just go into it. There's other plays. Yeah, the other. Sorry, my other plays. And you list them all. It yeah, would have fun can. and you get a little history there. And he's a little bit of a con man a little bit. But no, he's just a guy who wants to pay his bills. He's really
1: concerned about the play. So, uh, <sighs> <laughs> So the waiter, Sasha... Pleads for a part in the play that Miller seems to be rehearsing in the hotel. Uh, now the waiter is played by Alexander Astro, who, as I said earlier, was uh, the, on, in the Broadway version of Room Service, and he actually wasn't originally going to be in the film. The part was originally going to be played by Leonid Kinsky, who is the agitator, is the political agitator in Duck Soup, okay. who was working for Trentino, and is so strangely fearful that his that his plans are being thwarted by by uh, Firefly's popularity. Mm -hmm. Uh but then uh Kinski had to go and do retakes for a film. He's probably at MGM. He had to go back and do retakes, so they had to fly Azra to take over the the role. So anyway. (laughs) And he doesn't seem to have done much in the way of movies, Azra, like three films.
0: Yeah, he's fine in it. If I was watching a play and there was a straight man there and he was doing this stuff, it'd be fine. Yeah. But to me it's the equivalent of You got a Laurel and Hardy movie, yeah, and you like reveal Laurel and Hardy, it's like, oh, that's great, yeah. And then Laurel and Hardy spend the first five minutes of a film watching someone else move a piano, (laughs) and do a bunch of funny business, (laughs) and they just keep like turning to each other and like then back looking up at other people doing funny stuff, and you're like, yeah, yeah. when are you gonna let uh, Laurel and Hardy? uh..." Oh, Laurel and Hardy are just worried because it's their piano, (laughs) yeah.
1: Okay, so uh, Miller is unsympathetic. And uh, suggests that many actors would be happy for the chance to handle food, like uh, Sasha does. Sure. Miller is called to the phone. It's Christine, who's played by Lucille Ball. Lucille Ball. We learn that she works for a rival producer named Fremont. These are all important plot points, by the way. They'll, they'll come up again. Mm-hmm. That she is an actress, but could only make rehearsals when her boss goes to, goes to lunch. She has invested $250 in the show, and Miller has promised to make her a star.
0: Could I, could I say, here's the thing about a Marx Brothers movie. Yeah. If the plot matters, we got a problem.
1: <laughs> yes, you Right? You're right.
0: You're right. Like, uh, e- even if you lose track of what's going on in Night at the Opera.
1: Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Who
0: cares? Yeah. Right? Like, who's who's wants to be the big singer? and Are they moving to New York? And yeah, yeah. What, uh, who's losing? Yeah. Well, is, that's, is the opera making money or losing money? That's a good example.
1: Because there's an example of a movie where you have, because of... T- uh, editing you have no because it's, the movie was re-edited you have no idea where the movie is taking place mm-hmm. where anyone is what where are they going on this boat and aren't they already in new york how come are they, where were they and
0: it doesn't matter because the comedy scenes yeah. like, are so fine yeah they, you're fine mm-hmm. and you don't remember that later you just remember the funny scenes exactly whereas here it's like okay yeah so he has to pay his bills <laughs> but you've got to endorse a check but it takes five days. What are we doing? <laughs> Why are you telling me how long it takes? This is my life. I don't need this in <laughs> a film. Okay.
1: So uh, so Lisa, Lucille Ball this time, obviously, she was not the star. She would later be uh, on not, TV. And
0: not playing for comedy here.
1: She didn't play for comedy until 1950. No, no. She
0: was just a, a, a looker, a she singer, was a
1: hoofer. Yeah. If you look at her filmography, she she did like tons of film noir, and she did some dances. She you know she was in like a really good movie the year before, which is uh, Stage Door, yeah, which is like this great kind of uh, female ensemble movie with she's always Rogers and and uh, I think Catherine Hepburn's in it. And um, yeah, you
0: don't don't watch this movie and think this is the woman who's going to bring us Star Trek.
1: No, that's (laughs) right. You don't think that at all. It's interesting. She started her career as a Goldwyn girl. So, was basically mm-hmm. started as a chorus girl. And she can be seen in uh, Eddie Cantor's film, Roman Scandals. Unfortunately, not in the Eddie Cantor film, <laughs> The Kid from Spain, which I wish she was so I could mention that film in this podcast yeah. and keep the streak alive.
0: <laughs> and yet you have.
1: <laughs> so Werner just, and Walsh, everybody. So, <laughs> <laughs> so at this time, she was a contract player for RKO. Yep. And, and started slowly building up her career. Yeah. So, you know, chorus girl to... You know, small unfe- you know, featured extra kind of roles sure. and blah blah blah. She's
0: solid. She's got a good look. She delivers her line. She yep. does a good job. A it's good all job. fine. Yeah. yeah,
1: she's very she's efficient.
0: Yeah, if this was a play, she'd be one of the best things in the play. Yeah, unfortunately, it's a Marsh Brothers movie. And what are we gonna do?
1: She was a good friend of Buster Keaton uh, when she was at MGM. They were they were buds. Um, and she also was a good friend of Harpo. After, and uh, of course, Harpo went on the Lucio Ball, ball show and they redid the mirror sequence. Yep. And the other interesting thing is, is that when they started Desilu Studios, they bought the old RKO lot. As oh, t- that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So after Sasha begins reading barely comprehensible reviews of his career on stage, Miller begins to dance with him. It is at this point that the hotel manager, uh-huh. Joe Gribble. Why does plays- he get a funny name? <laughs> right? Yes. <laughs> Enters. <laughs> I guess because. Have you met Gordon Miller? <laughs> hey, Gribble. Have you met the, the Gribble with Gribbles? He. <laughs> which
0: is a Star Trek thing. <laughs> which is, <laughs> Lucille, but we're tying it all together.
1: <laughs> it's interesting because I guess his character is supposed to be like kind of an ineffectual milk toast sort of character, but the actor who plays the role doesn't play him that way. No. He actually gives him quite a bit of backbone. I mean, he's worried and obviously he's, he's not happy about what's going on, but at the same time, he like defends Miller later on you know like yeah it's a good well-rounded character it's just why is he in this movie here's the other here's the other (laughs) flaw
0: to the film and again I'm sure you'll be able to find some some joy in this film and if you want to see it see it go for it if you haven't seen already Um, but it's a movie where everyone through the whole movie or it gets more and more so is tense Mm-hmm. everyone's yeah. through the whole movie is worried. Yeah. And the thing you get in other Marx Brothers movies is yeah, there's like a worried about the mobsters we're worried about the opera closing, I don't know, <laughs> whatever it is. But there's yeah. but then there's moments where it breaks and there's moments of relief. Yeah. And then uh, Chico plays the piano and Harpo plays the harp yeah. and we get a little we get a little banter scene, we have some fun and we re- we 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 release the steam a bit. Yeah. And this one it just keeps building the pressure and building the pressure and building the pressure to somewhere that you don't don't care about. Yeah,
1: it's a it's it's really is a play movie because you can do this sort of thing on the, the stage. Yeah, and you don't and you don't feel there's more intimacy. There's more intimacy, and you don't you don't get the kind of suffocating feeling you get in the movie. Like what? Literally, are the stakes here? It's
0: like yeah. my play might not succeed, and the actors will not get paid. And I care about the actors, though we haven't really met them except yeah. for Lucille Ball, and I'm going to get arrested. Because I owe money, because I guess there's debtor's prison. What's happening? And I owe money on my typewriter. Like, okay,
1: (laughs) sure, it's fine.
0: Okay, continue, please.
1: So, uh, Gribble is agitated because he has been allowing Miller and 22 members of his cast to stay in the hotel without paying their bill. Mm -hmm. And the bill has been run up to Mm $1,200, we we learn many times. Gribble and Miller discuss this in the elevator and in Miller's hotel room. Gribble is allowing Miller and his cast to stay at the hotel Because he is Miller's brother-in-law uh, Miller's sister on my mother's side Yes, there out. you go That's a good Groucho Good joke And he also has a 10% interest in the play
0: Sure this is a problem with like uh, On my mother's side That is a Groucho joke Yeah And it's such a Groucho joke It reminds you Oh, this is Groucho Yeah Oh is Where, he? Where's that? Yeah, <laughs> what's that? Is, is is that how he deals with life? Mm-hmm. Is the absurdities Yeah Okay yeah. Nope We're back to And now he's really worried
1: <laughs> Unfortunately for everyone, a supervising director named Wagner has shown up unexpectedly to check the books. Oh, no. He is almost certain to see this discrepancy. Then, Leo Benelli enters. Chico arrives after attending rehearsal. <laughs> he says the rehearsal is wonderful, but the play stinks. Yeah, this is fine. That's a good, like, once again, that's like a good chicken. Everything thing.
0: about yeah. that scene is great. Yeah. Like, he comes in. Hey boss. Yeah, and I'm yeah. like, all right, that's Chico. Yeah, yeah. How's it going? Well, rehearsal's going great but the place. The place stinks. But the rehearsals.
1: Let, me, a just, rehearsal. let me just let me say. Yeah. Although I think that Grocho has to do some things that I don't like in the, in in his role. I think they actually do a good job like kind of Doing the movie, like they do a good job doing this movie. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, that's not what you want. No, you don't want the Marxists doing this movie. You yeah, want, it's you like want them to be in a Marx. I'm going to make all
0: these uh, comparisons, yeah. but it's like Abbott and Costello, and like you're used to Abbott and Costello, and they come in and just like, yeah. hey, you know what? Who's on first? Oh, you mean the uh, baseball player? Yeah, I certainly do. Well, all right then. Let's. Uh, I'm really that's concerned straight. about the team, and we're losing <laughs> money this year. We're not getting enough people into the into the stands because uh, of who playing. Yeah, who the baseball player? Yes, that's who I'm referring to. All right, well, good. Got to clarified that. That's right. That's yeah. the problem. It's like they have no moments where they're confused. Hey, hey, Abbott, I saw a vampire. You did. Well, we better
1: go take care of this right
0: away. I. I mean, I trust you. <laughs> you right. wouldn't lie to you wouldn't me. Wouldn't lie to me about this. <laughs> By the way, aren't you incredibly scared of vampires? Well then in no way should you slowly be backing up right now. Let's let's take a good look around the room first. Maybe turn around turn the lights on. And uh Oh, there he is. You know what? They can't go outside if you don't invite him. Uh but yeah, it's 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 like uh through the whole thing, Groucho and Chico are just on the same page. Mm-hmm. Solidly the same page. yeah. yeah. To the point where they could swap lines and it wouldn't matter. Mm-hmm. And It's like, well, where's just a little mix-up? Yeah, yeah. Again, it's it's, they're 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 weighed down by every one of their other films. Mm-hmm. If you saw this film, yeah. as the very first Marx Brothers film, oh, you, saw, you would you probably
1: wouldn't want to see a Marx Brothers movie again. You would be like, I don't see the point. You know, or maybe you wouldn't. Or maybe you would you'd just be think like, it's a film of the time. You think, well, this is an okay screwball comedy, yeah, it's of the, the, the time. It's not the best I've ever seen. Yeah, I don't quite see how these actors fit fit in these roles, um, but it's okay.
0: Yeah. I think why does that guy have a... Yeah, why have has he a got a grease based mustache? <laughs> why has this guy got a
1: flame on his hat? Oh, that's great.
0: It's great, but it's certainly not of this genre. You're right.
1: You're right. You're right. Yeah, okay. <laughs> why is he chasing a turkey around the room with a bat? That seems really odd, too. So, Gribble wants Miller to pay up, but Miller has no money, so he decides he's going to skip. Okay. Gribble threatens to keep his luggage, so Miller begins to wear multiple pieces of clothing. Actually... Yeah,
0: nice. Nice nice business.
1: And I like Benelli calling up uh, Faker to, to come to the hotel because they're, they're, they're checking out. So get over here. Help us wear some clothes. <laughs> Miller convinces Gribble that after he's gone, the entire cast will re-register under their own names. Now, I do think the scene of them dressing up in their multiple clothes, like, just how matter-of-fact there about it, like, oh, this is what we've done a million times, oh, yeah, and yeah. just putting the clothes on and stuff. I actually quite like that scene. Yeah, sure. I thought it was, I thought that was good.
0: Again, it's one of these situations, though, where both of them are, this is what we do. Yeah, yeah. We're both the I, same. I kind of
1: like it, though. I just like the, their matter-of-factness of, of sure, how they sure. do it. I mean, like I say, I saw this movie a long time ago. I've gone through my disappointment.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now I'm watching it just as a person I'm just watching a movie. I know that it's not a Mark's brother film, right? so I'm not judging it as a Marksworth film. I'm just watching it as a person watch, watching a, a comedy of that time period. And I think it's a so so comedy from that time period, but you know,
0: it's... I'd be curious to see the play itself yeah. and see how different the Groucho character and the Chico character are in the play itself. Yeah, you know, if if the Groucho character is a Weisenheimer at all, mm-hmm. or because it, it it does feel so interchangeable, the Chico and Groucho characters.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, so Faker, played by Harpo, arrives. Walks
0: in from a different movie. <laughs> it's basically
1: <laughs> completely different movie. Yeah. Uh, so he's prepared to help with skipping the bill he's so prepared he has no shirt on so he can wear even more shirts yeah uh then christine enters lucille ball's character she tells miller he can't run out on his bill because she has found a backer for the show named jenkins she has given him a copy of the play hail and farewell at that moment this is the sort of movie where someone enters they say they say something then there's a knock on the door or yeah. the phone rings yeah because that's the only way you can keep the play moving forward is sure so knock on the door uh, Miller quickly dons the remainder of his clothes, so he enters w- the door wearing a top hat. That was uh, good.
0: Mm-hmm. Good visual. Looks yeah, good.
2: Yeah. yeah.
1: And now it's Leo Davis, mm. played by Frank Albertson, the author of the play. So uh, Frank Albertson is interesting. He's in two great films in kind of small roles, small but significant roles that you would remember him for. Mm. He's in "It's a Wonderful Life." His As. character says, "Hee-haw!" Oh, good. Okay. He's Sam right yeah. in that film, and then he's also in <laughs> uh, "Psycho." He's, What's he he's Tom Cassidy, the kind of obnoxious guy who's in the office and g- giving them the forty thousand dollars to keep. Oh, and he's kind of making these really horrible passes at, at uh, Janet. Yeah, yeah, character. yeah.
2: Yeah. Oh, neat. That
1: was uh, Frank Frank Gilbertson. Yeah, he didn't age very well. <laughs> That's what I, what I thought of when I watched it. But he's also in one of my all-time favorite Christmas movies, which is uh, Ginger Rogers' film called Bachelor Mother, which is a great, uh, great Christmas film where she's uh, a woman who's working a short-term job at a department surf for the Christmas holidays. Okay, And the day, you know, that when as Christmas is now approaching, she gets let go, so she's basically been fired. And she's walking home, and she passes this woman who's leaving a baby on the step of this oh. orphanage. And the woman runs off when she kind of says, what, what are you doing? And the woman runs away. And then she's worried about this baby because it looks like it's going to fall down the stairs. So she goes over, and she's sort of tending it, and the door opens, and these people think that it's her baby. And so somehow she becomes the caretaker of this baby, and everyone thinks she's the mother, although she constantly denies it. It's a very good film. It has David Niven in it, and Frank Albertson right. p- plays this fellow uh, employee at the
0: worth a worth worth a Well,
1: lot. worth watching, and it's a uh, okay. really good Christmas film. Now, now, his
0: character in this. What do, you, what do you think of his character in this?
1: Well, I think he's what I think his character is um, odd. It's a very odd character. It's a very odd character because yeah. he's sort of the engine of of conflict in in his character. Is sort of the engine of conflict. Yeah. You know what I mean? So he'll come in. He wants to stay. They don't want him to stay. Yeah, but he's going to stay. But when later on, when they need him to stay, he wants to leave. Yeah, you know what I mean. So he kind of keeps by being the grit. He keeps you know being you know he keeps yeah. making the pearl of the plague. What keep, is he yeah.
0: like? Like to me, to me, he you know when he when he first came in, uh, you know with uh,
1: you know I've, I I he's the innocent. You would think that, but that's that's his character at the beginning. No, I get you. But so, he's also a playwright. So how innocent is he? This is the thing. You know.
0: Okay. So he's yeah. You could say he's the innocent, but he's left. He's left home. But you know
1: what I mean. Like he's like a kind of hayseed. He's from Oswego. He's from a small. That's town. what you think, right? <laughs> like
0: like that. I see is what it would be written in the character description. Yeah. Yeah. But how it's played is, mm. uh, I'm here. I didn't tell you I was coming. Yeah. I need a lot of money. I need my advance now. Yeah. Because I'm going to stay in this hotel. Yeah. Well. Well. Hey, you jerk. You know. There's. There's phones. Yes. There's ways of letting people know, giving people the heads up. I mean, your best case scenario where the play is going great and everything's going to be fine. Yeah. You don't do that. Mm-hmm. You don't do that. Like, he, he, to me, like, he just comes off as the, like you're saying, innocent. I would replace that with entitled. The most entitled, (laughs) smug little author just shows up, my play's here, and I want my money. And then I'm going to live here, and I didn't tell you, and I don't need to tell you. And then through the whole movie, he's annoyed at where he is. Yeah, yeah. You know, It's like, oh, I get to live here. This is great. And then he's like, I'm living with four guys in one hotel room, and as someone who has had to do that, Yes! (laughs) Yes. <laughs> What's wrong with that? Look at the size of the hotel room. It is a big. hotel Get a room. cot. Yeah. You've got a couch. You've got two beds. This is fine. Yeah. What are you talking about, Hayseed? Who just ca-
1: three beds? Because he- that other room where where the turkey was being chased around. That also had a bed in it. Yeah.
0: What's it? To- oh, four of us in this huge <laughs> hotel room. I don't like this. And then yeah, later when everything's you know going south, I'm leaving. But now you're gonna mess everything up for everybody. And then he's yeah. like, "Listen, buddy, I'm in love." Yeah. You're not in love at all, you entitled twerp. Like, he is the real, he is the villain of the piece, if you just break it on down. But, of course, because he's so bland, who cares? But, unfortunately, he's in every scene, so, ugh, we got to deal with this guy. And you just want Groucho to just like just take him down a couple of notches, yeah. You know, yeah. or uh, Chico and Harpo to steal his wallet. Well, they do actually. They do actually. That's it's, fine. Good. His roller skates. Well, that's good. His yeah, what
1: was he doing? Bringing roller skates. <laughs> I think that's supposed to indicate to us that he's sort of childish. Uh huh. That he's packing roller skates. I, I agree with you. It's a weird character. Like I say, he starts the movie yeah. playing the innocent. Yeah. But by the time you get to the to halfway through the film, he's doing the East Street shuffle. That was a reference to the <laughs> good. the Wild, the Innocent, and the Youth Street Show. Well, well anyway, done. I don't know why I even brought that up. Uh, Miller, you can edit it out, and yet you won't. I won't, because <laughs> I'm too pleased with it. Miller and everyone else would prefer that Davis go back home, especially when Davis informs them that he hasn't any money. Yeah. But when he threatens to take his play to Fremont, and we know who Fremont is because we remember at the beginning of the film yeah, that Christine Yeah, what a jerk on
0: that, too, right?
1: <laughs> yes, Miller relents and insists that Davis stay with him.
0: Yeah, he basically blackmails them.
1: Yeah. The innocent, right off the get go.
0: <laughs> well, he
1: blackmails them. Yes. In a, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Yes, he does. Yeah. He has, <laughs> Full on blackmail. But I think his character is supposed to be like, he has. Or extorts at least. He has the wrong idea of what is happening. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, he's come there with this idea that. Someone's producing my play. Now I'm a big shot like these people who are Absolutely. producing. Absolutely, and they've got to give me my money right away. Mm-hmm. And then later on, you know, it's
0: like, oh, well, we're going to have to, we're, we, you know, we're in enormous trouble. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I understand that. We got to change a, a line over here for this. Not one line of my play will be changed. Oh, you're this guy now, are you? <laughs> Is this who you are yes. as well? Yes. You're, yeah, as you say, he's, he's just the rock in your shoe.
1: Yeah, yeah. But that, but he's basically the motor of the play. Like he's the one that keeps things happening. He's the one who's hungry. He's the one who... Yeah, go- I'm believes. really hungry. I haven't eaten in 18 hours. <laughs> Shut
0: up. You came out of nowhere and expected... I like
1: how, I like how outraged you It is. He's way.
0: a horrible person, right? Every, everything he says, which does move the play along, yeah. shows him as a selfish yeah, yeah, uh, he jerk. Is. He's not looking at these other guys. You know, when they go like, hey, we're hungry too. Yeah, but right. I haven't eaten in 18 hours, yeah, and I'm same. a playwright who won't change a word of my <laughs> script, and I know you guys are in trouble, but I'm going to leave even though it means you're all going to jail.
1: <laughs> but I'm in love as well. <laughs> love only happens once in your life. What? <laughs> once again, he's he has that, he's naive, right? He's I don't think naive? he's naive, I think he's just a he's jerk. He's a naive jerk.
0: I think he's just a jerk. <laughs>
1: So while Davis is watching up, uh, fake as we said, Faker goes through his luggage, throws his clothes everywhere, steals his roller skates Good. and a, and a gilt <laughs> so silver frame right. picture frame. Uh, Benelli receives it when the phone rings, so we know things are happening. Benelli receives a phone call telling him that he has been evicted and all his worldly possessions are sitting out on the sidewalk. So he steals Davis's typewriter, basically away from away from Gordon Miller, who yeah. also wants it.
0: Typewriters are very expensive back then.
1: They were. Um, well, they were the height of technology.
0: Yeah. Well, like he owes, I think, $44 or something on yeah. it still. So yeah. he's paid some of that already off. Yeah. So you got to yeah. assume this is like a $60 typewriter
1: mm-hmm. back then. Yeah. So things were expensive those days. Yeah. Uh, but they were made to last. So he steals Davis's typewriter so he can prevent his moose head. Cause he wants to pawn it so he can pre- prevent his moose head from being towed away.
0: Which, again, I get in a play. Yeah. is hilarious to see someone walk in with a moose head. But in a movie? <laughs>
1: yeah.
0: Yeah. Okay. You know what? In a, play, in a movie, walking in with a moose. Yeah, there you go. You know?
1: <laughs> so Davis uses the phone to call the uh, We Never Sleep collection agency mm-hmm. to tell them that he intends to pay the remainder of what he owes them. And so he arranges for them to come to the hotel to meet him. Uh, and he wants to pay this on his unknown to him. Stolen typewriter, of course.
0: Right. That's interesting, too, by the way, right? Like that, sure. Like, hey, I owe a debt. Let me call those debt people. Hey, you come and see me at my hotel. Right, that's weird. Right,
1: he's the engine. Like I understand the, the reason of the play.
0: It's not the engine of the play. It's that we have one room in the actual <laughs> play, play, yeah, and yeah. I can't, I can't build a set yeah. for the collection agency. Yeah. So yeah, it does make sense that you come and see me and the collection agency. Is, sure, that's what we do, <laughs> day or night. We never
1: sleep. We'll just show up. So this is not the end of visitors to Miller's room. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's not. There's another knock on the door, which sure. heralds the arrival of Hilda Manny. Played by Ann Miller.
0: Legs Ann Miller.
1: Legs Ann Miller. Well, not at this Miller. point.
0: No. She was, uh, she was very young at this point. Yeah, she's only
1: 14 years old when she did this movie.
0: Uh, she was 15 when she did the movie. She was 14 when she was cast, I believe. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and she, yeah, she I, I read that. She too, that lied about she, her She right? lied, said she was 18. <laughs> so there's a scene later on where uh, where she's like looking at him and it, it comes, it, uh, you know, the scene comes up. And again, it's one of these scenes which isn't in the hotel room. You're like, oh yeah. boy. Uh, and she says you shouldn't have kissed me. Yeah. And I thought like, no you shouldn't have. <laughs> she was 15 years
1: old. You
0: should not have kissed her. And Well, I- it was a
1: peck on the cheek, so you could could argue that it was uh just friendly. Mhm. But you know, she before she was in this movie, she was dancing in clubs from the age of 13. Well, so what I she was already uh, yeah okay that's why she had a fake birth certificate so she could dance in clubs not so she could get movie parts.
0: By the uh, okay here's my here's my knowledge of her was she used to be part of the touring cast of Sugar Babies that would come through town every so often yeah. with Mickey
1: Rooney Mickey, yeah
0: and uh, and yeah that there she'd be called Legs and Miller yeah yeah and uh, because she was the fastest tap dancer like a like something she'd broken some records it was, it was look yeah any records or records yeah like, I'm friends with a guy who's done the most impressions in 60 seconds okay has he who knows who cares (laughs) what's it matter yeah right yeah who cares well the truth i can do the most card tricks in a minute who cares
1: it doesn't matter you just say it it's fine
0: she's the fastest tap dancer in the world maybe
1: well here's the funny thing though like when they when they made those movies they didn't actually tap dance during the film because the floors would be too slippery Mm -hmm. they actually used they wore rubber soled shoes for dancing in the movies and they would add the tap afterwards they would add so she would actually she would do her own tapping though she would just tap dance on a board to add her taps to the film. Uh The whole fastest tap dancer in the world thing was just a publicity stunt. Mm-hmm. Basically, they filmed her dancing and then they just added the taps in later anyway. Sure, so it show, it it's all showbiz. Yeah. It's showbiz. But, but if she you was saw in some her, great films. That's
0: right. And, but also, if you saw her perform live, I know people who saw her perform live and are like, yeah. "Whoa, yeah, yeah." Oh, no, yeah. she was a good dancer. She's a, yeah, a really she good was dancer. She's an
1: amazing dancer. I'm not going to take that away from her. I just mean that the whole fast And then thing
0: Mickey is. Rooney would kind of, and I don't want to say this in a bad way, waddle out, do a few jokes, and then she, <laughs> and just, she would just be working like crazy until she's just soaked in sweat. And then Mickey would, wow, that's a really good da- dance. And, and, and she'd do more. I'm like,
1: yeah. Uh, was... you,
0: you guys should not be being paid the same amount mm. for the tasks you're doing, though I understand. He was the biggest box office. Guy for you know yeah. so many so
1: on. I know everyone here loves uh, loves Anne Miller and knows all all her films. But uh, I just recommend <laughs> if you don't know all her films, uh, "On the Town" is my favorite. Okay, uh, yes. Film with her in it, I think it's a great film. Yeah, fantastic. And it's uh, her first film appearance for MGM was uh, "Easter Parade." Was an interesting part for her because she plays kind of a villain in that movie. Mm. She plays a, a a bad person who's thoughtless, and but not thoughtless in this. Things.
0: She is an innocent in this. She
1: is very very innocent. Uh,
0: I like her jerk of a boyfriend.
1: <laughs> so uh, Davis is uh, smitten with her. Mm-hmm. And uh, they discover that uh, she has an uncle from the same town that Davis is from. And that he has taught Davis piano. And so then he shares some chocolate with her that he doesn't share with any anyone else, by the way.
0: Yeah, that are starving.
1: <laughs> uh, we cut to Gribble's office because... <laughs> Hey, we got out of the room. Let's yeah. Let's you think a little bit like the room.
0: piano. Oh, this is some good setup because like you got Chico there.
1: Yes, um, I was really yeah yeah. You're really hoping that we, we play both the piano. study
0: together. Yeah. We da da da. Here we go. Also, it's like well, it's show business. There's lots of reasons you'd play piano.
1: Yeah, yeah. Nope. So <laughs> let's leave the hotel room for a minute. Let's okay. go to a different room. Okay. In the hotel, we cut to Gribble's office. Wagner, <clears throat> who's played by Donald McBride, who has said as I said before was in the original. Play uh, has discovered the debt in the books. Mm-hmm. Right. The most interesting thing about that Donald McBride is that he started his career as a teenage singer, uh, mm-hmm. kind of like Roger Marx, and he uh, sang on vaudeville. Okay. Then he moved into doing um, musicals, and then Broadway, and et cetera. And then he started doing movies. And he's one of those guys. 140 films. Yeah. That he appeared in, very few of note. Uh, I, uh, the only one that I. Turned out to me was that he was in a short called "The Chemist" with Buster Keaton. When B- I guess when Buster Keaton was at Columbia. Oh, okay. Grubel attempts to put him off, but Wagner has a vice presidency resting on this, and he will not be put off. Yeah. He decides to go and confront Miller in his room. Yep.
0: Yeah. Or as uh, I was watching it, just going plot, 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 <laughs> plot, 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 <laughs> plot, cutting away from the Marx Brothers to see some scenes of counting. <laughs> uh, I double checked the books, and we're not solvent. <laughs> Wait a second. Right. Twelve hundred. I've got a vice presidency on the. <laughs> you know Harpo's in this universe. I wonder what he's up
1: to. <laughs> well, let's cut back to Harpo. Oh no, we won't. We cut back to Davis and Hilda talking. Great. And she she tells him about Sasha, <laughs> uh-huh. uh, the waiter, and his aspirations to be an actor. <laughs> right. Then Davis decides, just on the goodness of his own heart, that he's going to go downstairs with her to to see Sasha perform. Right. After they leave, Wagner and Gribble arrive at Miller's room, and of course they find no one is there. As Wagner rants and raves, which is pretty much his character throughout the whole film, <laughs> Benelli arrives with his worldly possessions, including a giant moose head. The phone rings, which
0: he had a hard time getting through the revolving door. Mm, yeah, that's, right. that's that's great. Thanks why, for telling we, us about that. Telling we, about the uh, telling us about that funny bit of comedy business that we didn't see. That would have been good. Yeah, it would completely have been good. Instead also, of, not expensive to do.
1: And by the way, instead of. <laughs> The kind of dumb joke of Jenkins getting goosed by the the moose's antlers. It would have been great if there's women trying to use the doors who kept getting goosed. And they're all offended, yeah. and he's trying to, oh man, it would have yeah. been perfect. he
0: literally comes in and tells a funnier scene than what he's doing, <laughs> as he smoothly comes in the door with his moose head, just, Go yeah. oh, I had no, no problems problem with that yeah. door, yeah. not like this funny thing that happened a little while ago.
2: <laughs> you should have been
0: there. You should have <laughs> <laughs> been watching. What were you doing? Oh, a scene with some accounting? Oh, well, that must have been good, too. The important thing is, we got that plot thing, that you could have just said in two lines
1: yep. out, but no, fair enough. So now that someone has entered the room, we have to have either the door, the sure. knock of the door, or a phone ring. Yeah, the phone rings. Yeah, and Wagner is informed that there are twenty-two people dining downstairs and billing their lunches to Miller. Wow! A furious Wagner exits.
0: Wow, that would be an interesting visual as well to see all those people.
1: Oh well. <laughs> so Miller returns to the room, and then Davis returns <laughs> to find an angry Gribble. Because like, as you know, everyone this is a one room. Yeah. You know, everyone's using this room. Yeah, everyone's angry. Everyone's tense. Gribble informs him, Davis, that there is a twelve hundred dollar, there is twelve hundred dollars owing on the room, and if he moves in, he will be responsible for half. Which I don't think it's legal. Davis naturally wonders what he's got himself into. And this is when we get the other part of the scene, which is, I thought I joined some kind of high class operation here. You guys are a bunch of
0: yeah. Also, this is your first play, right? Yeah. You jerk.
1: <laughs> Aw, I just met a woman who's the love of my life.
0: Mm-hmm. She's fourteen.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so then we've we've had a
0: scene. We've had some talking. Luckily she's got the fastest legs in the world, so she will be able to get away from you if need be.
1: <laughs> she uh she was playing older, so it's okay. Sure. Okay, either you're gonna be a knock at the door or the phone Oh the phone rings. Okay. It's Jenkins, the backer. Joe is persuaded to leave. <laughs> Davis is disillusioned by Miller's sneaky tactics. Miller assures him that it's all business as usual. No manager would put his own money into a play. Which is not untrue.
0: It's true. It's weird when there's a, a bit of truth into things there. Yeah. Well,
1: yeah. I mean, the play is based in a, in a real world. Yeah, The exact place you don't want the Marx Brothers. Right. Jenkins arrives. He explains that he represents a wealthy man who wishes to re- remain anonymous. His name is not to be mentioned because of the heart of his wish... Because at the heart of his wish to back a play is his desire to obtain a role for a young lady he favors. Uh huh. The, the idealistic Davis protests, but Miller assures him that she can have a minor role in the play, as a minor.
0: <laughs> yeah, you're dating a minor, so why don't you uh, <laughs> uh, we just have this role. Okay, so like the rich backer. Yeah. Is this supposed to be a parody of someone famous that everyone goes, oh, we know who you're talking about? Is there anything like that? Like someone who would not want publicity that would want to back something like this? Because like, it really feels like this is... Well, he's
1: based in California. Yeah. So I'm thinking of Hearst. Marion Davies. Yeah, that's what I feel like. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I, I, I was I was leaning towards that too. It's like, yeah. is that what they're saying without saying I feel saying like that yet? was
1: a pretty a pretty common joke at the time is that he was buying Marion yeah. Davies' career, which was not true. Marion Davies was actually no, a really talented but... yeah. comedian. And I would say that Hearst actually spoiled her career. By making her play roles that weren't suitable for what what she's saying. Yeah, they just at.
0: kept hitting it in a way that yeah. this feels like a joke that's gonna have people like elbowing and nodding to each other like we know who they're talking about. And I'm like, <laughs> I don't know who you're talking about, yeah. but it clearly there's someone that you're talking about sure. here. Yeah. I by think, the way, we've gone a long time in this film now without any business. Oh my gosh, so long. And uh, This film should have been called Lack of Monkey Business.
1: <laughs> yeah. Or I'm, serious business. But that also would have Where fun. I got confused is when they revealed this name. I thought it was the Kingpin. Fisk. I was like oh, the kingpin. Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, this is
0: this is based on a character that wouldn't come out till like the late sixties. That's right.
1: When is, when is Daredevil yeah. going to show up? Well, back then, it,
0: well, originally it was a Spider-Man villain, but okay. Oh, okay. I'll, I'll lend that to you. Okay. Oh, okay. It became a Daredevil uh, <laughs> villain in the eighties. Yeah. Nerd. Under Frank Miller. Uh, yeah, you're right. I am quite the nerd. Anyway, back to <laughs> back to your sixteen pages of research on nineteen uh, thirties movie. Nerd. <laughs> Sorry, do you want some help uh, getting back on that high horse? That
1: oh, it's just a foot off the ground? <laughs> Wait, sorry. Yeah. Do you have I, to squat down to get on that? <laughs> I don't need to get on horse I have to fix all these windows I broke in my glass house. Okay, fair enough. <laughs> to Miller's chagrin. As you were, Mr. Kettle. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Pot. <laughs> Jenkins insists on signing the papers the next day and handing over the check at the hotel. Because mm. he can't have it anywhere else. But at the hotel, as we know. After Jenkins leaves. Does he, so
0: did he have to go and get the check? He didn't have the check with him. He didn't him. have the check with, with him. So he went to... He's kind
1: of feeling this out, I guess. All right, fair enough. After Jenkins leaves, someone leaves. What happens when someone leaves in a uh, play? The door knocks to the... the Joe enters the to find Miller and Benelli celebrating. Yeah. He is happy, but disappointed to learn that Miller still has no money. Okay. Wagner is on the warpath. Mm-hmm. Christine re-enters. Yep. The <laughs> entire cast, have been, well, like I said... Yep. They've delivered some lines. Now someone else has to come in the room sure. to carry things going. Because it's a play. Christine re-enters. It's inter-
0: a fudging play. <laughs>
1: the entire cast <laughs> yeah. have been locked out of their rooms and are gathered in the lobby.
0: Yeah. Are we going to see them? Nope. Nope. Hey, you know what? A lot of business is going on in that lobby. Yeah, there's a there's guy who tried to there. come in a revolving door with a moose head a while ago. <laughs> Pretty funny. And you wouldn't believe what Harpo's doing down there. <laughs> anyway, back to back to our talk about this check.
1: <laughs> uh, Miller convinces... Gribble that they, he should let the uh, actress stay in the ballroom. The end. Is, so, so he hands over the keys to Christine so that she can go and uh, get them hidden, hidden away there. Davis decides he should leave now too, and as Benelli remonstrates with him, Wagner silently enters the hotel room. We actually kind of enjoy the scene just because everyone's talking, and then he just kind of appears at the door like a <laughs> this sort of evil, evil ghost, and then sort of silently enters, which was would have been great on stage sure cuz that's the perfect place to play that cuz the audience is laughing yeah. you're getting the laughter the actors can really let it play let it play out you know whereas in a movie like this you the and i feel like the marx brothers are doing a style of comedy that they're not used to as well mm-hmm. so they're not really sure how you play out these kind of beats i think like i don't feel like they milk it as much as they could and i don't know if i don't know if it's a result that they offended cider the director and he's now we have to do the play as written or if you know that was just you know they just didn't they weren't comfortable so they just did the play as they or the screenplay as it was given to them yeah you know like i i don't know their thoughts on the on room service i mean they probably didn't talk about it very much because it was a not a success so that's not something you want to talk about but uh, it would have been interesting to get their thoughts on like what what they were thinking because you know groucho really had no problem post marx brothers to do to just run-of-the-mill films where he was just a a small character or, or, or you know, a, a kind of a character actor in the film. Yeah. He had no problem with that, but I wonder how he felt like trying to shoehorn is the personas they developed into this plot. That's so that's, that's well, I could
0: see, all right. I could see like, you know, they kept trying new things mm-hmm. with their, with their work. They, yeah. And then, until they got to uh night at the opera and then they had their big success and critical success. And, but that was a play where they really tried. It was a play film where they yeah. really tried something different. Yeah. And then they tried the same thing generally with the next one. And I could see how the comedic mind then goes, well, we got to try something different now. So this is a hit play. Let's, let's, let's try it. Let's just give. Let's just try something different. Let's take it down a couple of notches. Let's play at this level and see if it works. And you know, you take a risk. Yeah. And sometimes the risk pays off, and sometimes it's, it doesn't. Yeah. Like I know it bothered you in the last film that Groucho was so vulnerable and he cared yeah. about uh, always being caught. Yeah. yeah. Uh, you know, with uh, whereas he would never care in a previous movie about yeah, yeah. that. And this film is all that. Like I it's agree. everything yeah, yeah. that you no, didn't no, like about the last film.
1: And I feel like, but my feeling about this movie is that it's not really a Marx Brothers film. It's a movie that has the Marx Brothers in it, but it's not a Marx Brother film. Like it doesn't have any uh, any hallmarks of a Marx Brother film. There's no piano. There's no harp. Right. There's no there's no you know double talk scenes. There's there's no uh, Harpo, you know, doing something. Sp- Strangely, you know, sort of impish way. Well, Harpo,
0: no, Harpo is a still Harpo. Yeah. I mean,
1: he does a little bit, but. Harpo
0: lives in a different world yeah, than the rest of the, yeah. the uh, play. It slash really, movie.
1: But it, you know, but it's, he's just sort of like attached to the film. He's not, he's not integrated into the way he would be in Horse Feathers or. Okay. Or Duck Super, whatever, where he's a part of the motor of the, yeah. of the movie. The, this one, he's just sort of like he's along for the ride basically you know he'll show up at a scene do some stuff and do then, some craziness and then and, you know, and, and then
0: literally leave for an a huge amount of yeah, time yeah and when he's gone you know the whole everything
1: gets real yeah and it and it doesn't it doesn't affect anything either it's not like well where did that character go yeah
0: and no one makes a notice that mm-hmm. you know he's got fire on his head
1: okay <laughs> he's in character uh huh um all right so wagner enters the the room as we said yes. so we have so uh, Wagner is sardonically happy to see Miller. He demands immediate payment from him. Miller tells him that he will pay the bill in full the next day. That, that should be good enough, mm-hmm. but not in a in a farce like this. Not enough.
0: Yeah. So, so what's, what do you think the motivation is then for like, I'm going to pay you tomorrow, and it sounds like he's going to pay him tomorrow. What's the motivation of the other guy to go like, no, that's not good enough for me?
1: I think at this point, there's two things. Okay, there's three things working here. One is he needs to have physical evidence of his efficiency as a supervising director okay. for his vice presidency. I know this is boring. We yeah. don't care. Okay. So he wants this off the books entirely okay. and as soon as possible. Sure. But I think what's coloring his judgment is his feeling that Miller's going to skip if he gets a day. So if Wagner takes the heat off, Miller will disappear mm. and he'll get nothing. And also he's mad at Miller for what's happening Sure, and he doesn't want to play along with him because he just wants to punish him. Okay, does that matter? No, because it shouldn't matter. He should be Elkie Briggs. He should be pulling a gun on Grocho and Grocho saying, "How cute!" You know, like it shouldn't be. But this is not a Mark Brothers film. Yeah, I didn't so even really get watching... the internal logic okay. of like. Well, it seems yeah. like
0: this solves all your problems and everything's going to be wrapped up fine. It's like mm-hmm. no, yeah, yeah. I want. See, it's like the uh, the 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 Hick. It, no matter what is always against what would make things easier. And then the bad guy is always making things harder, it feels, than they need to be. Mm -hmm. And it feels that both of these characters, if we were in the real world, were in any way slightly sensible (laughs) and would just take a breath. Uh, They would go, you know, uh, no, that's a a good point. Uh, This can all solve itself. And so it feels like what the play at this point slash movie is doing is manufacturing fake problems and because it's manufacturing fake problems, the consequences don't become apparent to us. And so who cares about <laughs> that? Uh, and, and you're like, okay, well, then let's just see some comedy bits. Yeah, you know, But we're not. We're really, really focusing on the inconsequential consequences of actions that uh, don't really scan, if you think about it, for half a second.
1: Yeah, I mean, Miller points out to, to Wagner that the hotel has a theater in it that has not been used in three years. And this is an opportunity for the hotel to actually have a play yeah. being performed there. Yeah, And even that, like, so it almost is like what Wagner <laughs> wants is like a Pyrrhic victory. He doesn't really care what. Yeah. It almost feels like at this point, hey, I found $1,600 in the couch. Yeah. Ah, forget about
0: that. Throw it out the window. <laughs> we don't want that. You got to get me the money by tomorrow. Yeah, That's yeah. what I'm telling you. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay, fine. Let's uh, get some turkeys in this room and let's do a comedy scene.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think it's one of those sort of things where it's almost like Mayer at MGM.
0: Yeah. He's there's the, no logic to what he's no doing, There's no logic really. to what he's doing
1: either. Like he, he, just wants, you know, he just wants to make himself look good. He doesn't care how it, how yeah. it actually affects the These
0: Star Wars movies are doing well. I don't like Star Wars. We're not yeah. going to do any more.
1: Yeah. It's like, just do more Star Wars movies. They're doing fine. Uh, yeah, he won't, so Wagner wants payment in 20 minutes. Okay. Uh, He also plants the germ of an idea by warning Miller not to try staying in his room, threatening him with painters and fumigators, of all things.
0: Like you could get them immediately and overnight. The overnight painters and fumigators. Maybe you could. But
1: the 20-minute thing, I mean,
0: again, that's a thing that works great in a theater where you actually have 20 minutes. And people can look at their watch and go... Well, oh, the play's gonna be over in thirty minutes. Yeah. So this all makes sense. Okay got twenty minutes.
1: So Wagner storms out, yeah, sure leaving does. room on the stage for faker to return. Yep. With a cot and his worldly possessions. He's been tossed out of his room simply for not paying his his uh, rent for six months. Right. Unbelievable. What a world. Couldn't find six dollars or whatever the joke is there, yeah. Miller and Benelli then hit on the idea of faking an illness. Yeah. As Benelli points out, it's illegal to evict a sick man from a hotel room. I don't know if that's really true, but let's just say it is. Right now, Davis has to play; it has to be the sick person because he's, besides Miller, the only one who's registered in the hotel, and so they force him to play sick by spraying his face with iodine to make it look like measles, mm-hmm. uh, which is interesting. So I guess it's a pre-measles vaccine. Sure, I don't know. Yeah,
0: I'm when thinking. the when the when the goons see measles on the door, uh, they they hightail it. Oh out of yeah, it. they're not They're happy. they're they're not doing it. Yeah. Because yeah. they, they were, uh, they did not vaccinate because they were worried about autism. Those goons. <laughs> That's the, the whole thing. Goons country. back then were so worried about autism. <laughs> yeah. Like it feels, it feels like you've got such a great premise there for a comedy bit. And again, they set it up so randomly, just yeah. like, hey, if we fake being ill, you can't kick a sick man out of the, why not? Why can't you just get an ambulance? And, and, him and pick him up and take him to a hospital. Yeah, yeah. You know, okay, I guess measles, quarantine, you can't move a guy. That that I suppose I get. Yeah. But like, all right, so great, you're spraying his face, measles. It feels like in any other movie you would then go, now let's simulate, Uh, you know, fever, uh, the shakes. Let's just, there's so many comedic beats you could play there to like, to this poor schlub to make him seem like he's sick. You know, pour ice in his pants. Yeah. Do Do all these things to him, but... Again, he's such a realistic guy. He's like, I don't want to. I don't like this. I'm not gonna. I won't do it. No. Ugh. All right. Just, yeah. uh, you know, throw him out the window.
1: <laughs> now you're sick. Yeah.
0: Um, you, you can't close a play when the author died the night before.
1: <laughs> well, Think of the publicity. That's right. Don't you know the law?
0: I was going to say, yeah, that he committed suicide. But that's a joke later anyway. So, okay, fine. Ugh. All
1: right. Now we cut. Right, well, we, as you said, the, the, uh, house detectives will not go in the room because it has a, there's a measles sign on the yeah. door. So we cut from that to a, to a cut that kind of indicates time has passed. We see a, a delivery van outside and someone is bringing in wonderfully cooked meals right out of the <laughs> delivery van. <down. laughs> yes. They're so. They look delicious. They look delicious and they look like they're stacked
0: in the worst way yes, I know. that if you took a turn, yes. everything would like pile onto one plate. Yeah. Like, how are they in any way? And also open well, air. No, didn't
1: know that didn't happen. Open air. Yeah. Like,
0: not even with like a no, lid on no to litter, keep yeah. everything in there. Yeah,
1: no, there's nothing. This this I'm
0: carrying on. And stuff. God help you if there's a mouse in the back of that thing that's just going to go bananas on this stuff. <laughs> it just seems like this can't be how they delivered things back yeah, then.
1: Yeah, it's very strange. And it's a hotel. Don't they have their own kitchens? Why are they where they having yeah, you a fully cooked turkey? Well, let me tell you. The yes, they do because they've got an abandoned theater. Yeah.
0: They're not using. Yeah. So yes, they do have a huge kitchen. We
1: saw they have the wait-way grill. Yeah. Right in their wait-way hotel. Um, Which apparently so, no one but Groucho
0: eats at. So maybe the food yeah, is terrible. My,
1: my, no, there were other people there, I think. Right? Oh, were there? Yeah.
0: Okay. All right.
1: So uh, we cut. then we cut to Benelli and Davis eyeing the uh, delivery van wolfishly mm-hmm. uh, because they haven't had food for some time. I don't know how long. Probably six hours since their last date. They can't believe it. What a, what a world. Okay. Uh, Benelli wishes they had something to hawk and Miller who i enjoy this very much that he's cheating at a game of solitaire with himself yeah i like that he looks around and pulls the card out of his sleeve <laughs> <laughs> um he su- uh miller suggests that they that they hawk benelli's moose head which benelli refuses to and i guess there's a joke there of some sort that was funny in the in the play
0: yeah that he shot it he ate it all the way up to the neck yeah and he then just doesn't uh, want to get rid of the rest doesn't want to get rid of the rest why I don't know. It's funny when you go through a revolving door. No need for us to see that,
1: though. It's hanging on the wall now. Miller tries to order food, putting on a bad English accent. He is recognized, though, and cannot get any food. But wait, there's a knock at the door. Who could it be? It is Sasha. He is convinced to get them some food with the promise of a part in the play and the magic word Hollywood. He leaves. A man knocks at the door. It is Timothy Hogarth, as I said earlier, is played played by Philip Loeb, who uh, took over the role for someone else who who left who left before the shooting started. He was just sort of parachuted into this role, but he did a really good job. Uh, job I think playing that character, strangely mild mannered collection agency guy. I did like his character, and it's a good it's a good counterpoint to Wagner. And I do like how Donald Donald McBride plays Wagner. I like how loud he is and all the jumping butter balls and and the kind of you know, does the energy he brings to that character, yeah. I think, in that sort of play, that sort of play, that it's a good character, and I think he does that w- very yeah. well.
0: He's got a catchphrase. He uses yeah. it repeatedly. Yeah.
1: Um, but I also like how Philip Lowe plays this guy is so low-key and just sort of, you yeah. know, very mild-mannered, you know, not aggressive. I would aggressive. watch
0: a movie where it's just him collecting things. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and he reminds me of uh, that uh, Looney Tunes character who uh, was trying to draft uh, Daffy Duck. And he would just be this kind of little milk toasty guy who would just like just show up and just was like you know relentless yeah but very mild okay and just like we never sleep yeah. okay I'm gonna go check out your story yeah that wasn't
1: the case I'm back <laughs> you know I was like oh this guy this guy will never leave me alone yeah Philip Loeb um like I said he was in the original play he played the played Harry Binion as or Benelli as as uh, Chico has it and he would later play. Uh, uh, a role on stage the role of Jake Goldberg who is the husband character in, in um, a husband character in a radio show that was written by a lady named Ger- Gertrude Berg called the, the Goldbergs. Mm. It was kind of a soap opera with a, you know, with a bit of comedy to it and he was a sort of put upon husband and she wrote a stage play called me and Molly and he played Jake Goldberg in that. And then when it was adapted for television, he took he did the role for the television show. Right, they
0: consider that to be the first sitcom. Sitcom. Yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, unfortunately, he got caught up in the whole uh, McCarthy witch hunts in the '50s and was forced to leave the show. He resigned just to take the heat off the show, and uh, a few years later, killed himself.
0: Oh, I'm sorry to hear that.
1: Yeah, and his the character the Zero Mostel character in the Front is apparently partially based okay. on him. Yeah, because the guy who wrote The Front uh, was a friend of, of Philip Loeb as well. So he kind of incorporated a few people he knew from that time yeah. period into the character.
0: Also a good film to see.
1: The Front is a very good movie. Yeah. Surprisingly good film. Yeah. yeah. Um, So uh, Hogarth is saddened to learn that Davis has gone crazy and has been locked up in a mental institution. Although actually he's been locked up in a maternity hospital, which as he points out, Yeah, but that's a good. I actually like that one. It's a good joke when Grocho says because he's crazy. He said in maternity. Yeah, and he's also taking the the typewriter with him because he likes the sound of the bell.
0: Yeah, it's one of those things where you're like, oh yeah, they're the Marx Brothers.
1: (laughs) Anyway, back to the script. Uh, Faker arrives with a live turkey. This still has some good Marxian stuff. Yeah, here, sure. Uh, That he has won in a crooked raffle that he he was running. Uh, The turkey escapes and is chased around the room. Yeah, they immediately go food. Yeah, yeah, like they're going to
0: slaughter. A turkey in the bathtub. (laughs) Cook it in their hotel room. (laughs) Yeah, that's how this is going to play out.
1: Yeah, yeah. See, you're bringing reality to something that was probably put into the film purely because of the Marx Brothers. Mm -hmm. I don't think it would have been in the stage No, they
0: probably would not have had a live turkey on the stage, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah, so the turkey escapes and flies out the window. But then Sasha arrives with food, and we get a good scene of the Marx Brothers eating. By the way,
0: does that turkey live if it goes out the window on a very high, high thing
1: well there's a ledge as we see
0: okay so you think turkey makes it to the
1: ledge yeah because remember we do see the turkey again yeah, we do, don't we? Cause I mean, they can they can glide
0: it. a certain degree. I yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm thinking of a W.K.R.P. in Cincinnati episode. <laughs> they drop turkeys from a thing. Yeah, but again, that the turkeys were more farmed then and uh, fattened and such. That so this is a this is the 1930s. Uh, seen some things, been in the war <laughs> turkey. Right. Yeah. yeah, city turkey. He's gone through the Great Depression. He knows what's what. Okay. So yeah,
1: it's a it's a good it's a good scene. Good in the bit. Movie. Yeah, yeah. Movie. Except for that one weird angle, a kind of low angle of Harpo eating. <laughs> that's weird. Like, why is that there? What is this? Orson Welles joined the joined the uh, set that day? Yeah. And said, you know what you guys should do? A low angle. We can see the ceiling. Sure. That's what we need in this movie. A low angle. It's of RKO. somebody hanging around. Sure, why not? Maybe. Um, yeah, what is this? that's right. Miller decides he won't replace the original actor with Sasha after all, even though he promised to do this. Yeah, because he's he, full now. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's what he says. <laughs> Now that I'm full, or now that I'm fed, I don't feel like it. He feels that bad that the actor playing the role had been rehearsing without pay for seven weeks. The phone rings. There we go. Phone rings. It is Hilda calling for Davis. She is concerned about him. He re- reassures her that he isn't really sick, and they agree to meet. Despite the other objections, yeah. Davis leaves to meet Hilda. And this
0: could ruin everything for everybody, and everyone could be thrown in jail.
1: Saying love is more important than a play. Then have
0: her come up. <laughs> Right? Yes. This problem solved, right?
1: <laughs> Selfish. He's the motor. Benelli, Miller, and Faker discuss love. Faker shows his girlfriend a little cupie doll that makes his kind of cute little squeak when when right? it's squeezed. Yep. Christine arrives with more food that she had bought after borrowing $2 and a contract with Fremont's Ford signature on it, as well as some mustard. <laughs> there is a knock on the door. It's Wagner. Faker is bundled into bed in place of Davis. Wagner, Gribble, and a man enter. Wagner is outraged that food has been delivered to the room. Miller informs him that Dr. Glass had had it set up for the patient. Dr. Glass is the other man, says pointedly, I did not have this food set up. And Dr. Glass is played by the great Charles Halton, who we all remember as the bank examiner from It's a Wonderful Life. Oh, very good. But he he always played that kind of persnickety character who is very, very much one of those sort of characters that either you know, closes the wicket when the character's you know, arrive at the last minute yeah. to get something done and he's going to close the wicket. I'm sorry, we close at five. You know, that, that sort of character that he just plays it to a T. He tee. would have been great in a Marx Brothers movie. Yes. Yes. Yes, he would. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been something to see.
0: Uh, By the way, if anyone out there really enjoyed this film and it's your favorite Marx Brothers movie, Yeah, I that's
1: fine. I'd like to, like to well, yeah, like to we're hear just going
0: we're just going about our, our perspective here, which yeah. isn't necessarily
1: correct. Yeah, because we're, we're also jerks. We're like Davis. Mm-hmm um fakers in bed with christine sitting near playing the part of the nurse miller insists that he now has a tapeworm so measles is out the window tapeworm is in the window you can have both sure why not
0: Nothing stopping you from both
1: uh wagner isn't buying it as faker doesn't look at all like davis uh since he has red hair which i always like when people point out that harbour has red hair because you you only see him in black and white yeah and as a kid i always thought it was blonde and so when they when later on when i discovered it was red i was like oh oh okay
0: do you think Lucille Ball had red hair in this uh, in this film? Yep. Okay.
1: She was a redhead. Mm. Why do you say that? I don't.
0: Know. Maybe she's. Maybe she has red hair. I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> women wear wigs. Things happen. I don't know.
1: Sure. Sure. It's a
0: black and white movie. Who knows?
1: The doctor attempts, uh, sorry, attempts. The doctor attempts to <laughs> examine Faker, but Ellie informs the doctor that Faker also has laryngitis. Despite this, the doctor insists on Faker saying, ah, so Benelli slips him the Cupid doll to squeeze in place of him speaking. Now, once again, I think this would be really good on stage where you can have a bunch of people talking and sound effects and stuff like that happening. And it's all kind of understandable. It's, it's comprehensible. But in the movie, so much is happening off camera while you're watching the doctor, you know, and the, the, with, with Harpo that it just kind of washes over you. You have no idea what's happening. I don't yeah. even, you don't even know what people are saying. It doesn't make any sense, you know. It's just ah.
0: Also from ah, st- also weep. on stage, it makes sense because uh, because yeah because of the sound you you couldn't tell from where you're sitting watching a play. Uh, you know, uh, oh, it, it actually syncs up well. But in a film, you're like, well, why doesn't the guy know? It sounds clearly <laughs> like if, if if your voice was coming from yeah. two feet behind you, yeah, I'd go, I'd be looking for the guy behind you, yeah, right, yeah, like you can tell, you can tell, especially mm-hmm. if your mouth is like. Really close. Mm-hmm. Also, what the other thing I don't get about the doctor is like when it says the guy's got laryngitis. Okay, say ah. Yeah. Oh, he's got laryngitis. I know. Still, say ah. Well, well, isn't the point of
1: laryngitis that you can't talk? It's not that you can't talk. Your voice is hoarse. Like I don't yeah. think laryngitis means that you are totally mute. Yeah. So to him, he wants him to say ah, so he can examine like his the throat and stuff like that to see if it's yeah. And then it's weird that or... he keeps
0: making him do it over and over and over again. Yeah. Like you've looked down his throat. Yeah.
1: It's, it's funnier.
0: Yeah, That's fair, in another movie it would have been fine.
1: Uh, the doctor takes Faker into the bathroom to examine him further, mm-hmm. it, you know, to preserve his modesty. Mm-hmm. And I like, I like when uh, Benelli goes to the door and peeks through the keyhole and says, <laughs> I, I resign the case. Because oh. for that point he was using the stethoscope, pretending he was also a doctor. Um, then Hogarth, the debt collector, returns from the maternity hospital to report that Davis is not there. Oh. Miller tells him that Davis has been transferred to the county hospital. Hogarth is sent forth with a hearty Hail and Farewell for Miller, Benelli, and Christine. Someone's left. The phone rings. Wagner is informed that 19 people have been found staying in the ballroom. Wagner orders them thrown out. He leaves with an angry Hail and Farewell. Miller has Christine go down and have the cast wait for him in the lobby. It'd Dr- be
0: better with Godspeed. All of the Hail and Farewells, if you replace yeah. them with Godspeed. They're yeah. funnier and more effective. Yeah, you think so? Yeah. Because it, like, it sounds like a swear... Are you saying Godspeed? Yeah. Whereas Hail
1: and farewell. Mm, Doesn't. Mm. doesn't. Yeah, you're right. Particularly that, they're saying farewell, the way he says it. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Dr. Glass pronounces Faker perfectly healthy and insists that he will inform Wagner. He cannot be bought off with a piece of the play or his name in the program. Miller and Benelli lure him into the bathroom where they tie him up to keep him out of the way. Faker goes to the window and sees Davis and Hilda down below in a park. They kiss. Mm. That's the extent of their scene. Good. Faker then sees the turkey standing on the ledge near a window. The phone rings. It is Jenkins. He comes up to sign the contract and deliver the check. Just as Jenkins is about to sign the contract, Wagner enters and spoils the whole thing. Yeah. Jenkins gets spooked and attempts to leave. He opens the wrong door and finds the doc- finds Dr. Glass standing up, tied up, standing at the door. Which in, uh, in a play. Yes. Hilarious. Very funny. He runs to another door only to find Faker running around a bedroom, chasing the turkey and wildly swinging a bat. Jenkins is accidentally hit in the head by Faker and is dazed. Dr. Glass angrily tells Wagner that he is wrong and has wrecked Miller's chance to produce his play. The doctor quits angrily. He also tells Wagner who the backer is. And when when, uh, Wagner hears the name Fisk, his attitude changes completely. Now that Wagner has heard the name of the backer, he is all sunshine. He attempts to sweet talk the jittery Jenkins into signing the deal. Mm -hmm. Jenkins endorses the check and then staggers into the closet. After Jenkins finally finds the right door and leaves, Miller is talked into signing the check over to the hotel so Wagner can clear the debt from the books. After Wagner leaves with a friendly hail and farewell, Davis returns to tell them that he met Jenkins in the lobby. Jenkins has told Davis that he only signed the check to get out of the room, and he intends to stop payment. Oh no! Davis wants to take his play to Fremont. Christine begs him to reconsider. Miller decides that since it will take five days before the truth is known about the stop check, they will go ahead and the play go ahead with the play as though they had a contract. So now Wagner is the one backing the play. Cut <laughs> to the outside of the White Way Theater with a sign reading "Opening Tonight: Gordon Miller's Hail and Farewell." Mm. I wonder if Excelsior would have been good too. Oh. Cut to the we outside. Keep referring to
0: Marvel things. Hmm. you Wilson Fisk. No, no, Excelsior uh, is. Oh, I uh, understand from the
1: uh, poem
0: yeah but it's also Means stanley up, it's, upward it's what stanley signs off all of his uh columns with
1: do you know what also is interesting that it was a name for a uh, light packing material back in those days oh all right like if you had like straw and stuff in a you call it excelsior you call it excelsior yeah oh, that is good it's good trivia thank you i'm full of useless facts you're full of excelsior <laughs> <laughs> so we catch the hotel room at least it's a different hotel room.
0: Is it though? When I saw it, I went like, "Is this just with a different couch in?" Yes, like it looked that's like all it
1: is. Yeah, but it is a different hotel. Like, room. Like I assume, like in the play, they, <laughs> they wouldn't
0: have built a new hotel room no, either. No, no, they, would, they would. have just redress the they, same yeah, one, repurpose the set. Yeah. yeah,
1: and that's all they've done here. But at least for us, it's a new room. Let's uh, look on the bright side. Sure. Come on, guys. Uh, we uh, sorry, yeah, blah blah blah. We cut to we cut to the hotel room. later. Gribble and Miller are celebrating opening night as Miller finishes dressing. A courier arrives for a signature for Miller, but calls him Mr. Wagner. Mm. Gribble becomes suspicious and looks at the paper the courier needs signed. Gribble is horrified to learn that the check has bounced. Miller begs Gribble to not tell Wagner so the play can go ahead. A happy Wagner enters the room with a large wreath with a banner saying, Success and some champagne. <laughs> the phone rings. It's the bank calling, and Wagner learns to his horror that the check was stopped. Benelli enters, and Wagner tells Miller and Benelli to wait, as he has a big surprise for them. A big surprise! He leaves. Yep. A person left the room, that means? Ring. Someone enters. Oh, sorry. Davis enters. He has also been told to wait for a big surprise from Wagner. Gribble calls to inform Miller that Wagner knows the truth. Davis is unfazed. Everything is already in motion. What can Wagner do now? He leaves, but is stopped in the hallway. It turns out that Wagner's surprise is the house detectives who lock them in the hotel room.
0: Doesn't seem like he should be able to do that, but okay.
1: Faker, in full Miner's costume, well... It's kind of House arrest because they did break the law. Okay. It's fraud, right? All right. Faker, in full Miner's costume, complete with a hat with a flaming lamp, and his tools are tossed into the room. I do it's like a his great, flaming lamp. It's a great look. Yeah.
0: Again, for another movie.
1: <laughs> Davis suggests... I'm constantly watching it now going, where's that flame? Yeah. 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 Davis suggests that they light a fire to escape. Faker lights some paper from a wastebasket on fire, and then... Yeah, uh, he uh, lights uh, a fire in the room.
0: Yeah. Like it's just crazy town. Yeah, he's going to burn the whole building down. <laughs> yes, unless you know it would set off a fire uh, alarm. But I don't think that's how things worked back then, by any means. No,
1: I don't think there was like sprinklers from the ceiling no. or anything for hilarious sprinkling down fun. Uh, I do like that while they're stomping. They, no, they, uh, they did and do a, claps his hand.
0: Yeah, they did do a movie. Uh, They'll in their last film that did happen. There were sprinklers. And uh, in, in the operation scene. Oh, that's and they right. They hit the thing, and the sprinklers go off, yeah, and yeah. then they're all crazy sliding around. And then a horse goes in.
1: Yeah, but remember how they, fun that was? But they activate them, right? They activate. Yeah, they the had sprinklers. to activate them. Yeah, yeah Remember right. how
0: fun that was? That, that was, crazy scene. Yeah, that was. That was one scene. movie ago. <laughs> one movie ago. Now we're really worried about that check
1: not clearing. <laughs> uh, so the idea then. Davis and Miller hit on the idea of Davis faking a suicide <laughs> so an ambulance will be called and they can get out of the hotel room right and then sneak back around and see the play uh-huh. okay Wagner re- returns to inform Miller that f- that in 15 minutes or sorry 15 minutes into the play the sheriff will arrive to remove the scenery from the stage like talk about sabotaging whatever chance of success you yeah. have like okay the chick bounced now your only hope of getting this money back yeah. is for the play to be a success. Why are you going to like... But anyway, he's, a, he's an idiot. Yeah. He, is, he likes a Pyrrhic victory, as they say. Uh, at that minute, Davis can be heard groaning from the bathroom. Wagner is told that he drank an entire bottle of poison. <laughs> Wagner orders that Davis be carried to the bed, but he is unwilling to call for an ambulance because of bad publicity. He orders Gribble to get, some, get an antidote. He and Gribble depart. Miller realizes that they must continue the suicide ruse to keep Wagner from calling the sh- calling in the sheriff.
0: Isn't it weird, by the way, that it's like, what did he drink? Poison. Yeah. What should we get? Antidote. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: Not that's, that's rat poison. Yeah. What kind was, of poison was it? one. An poison. Antidote. We had yeah. that
0: bottle of poison in the bathroom. Well, <laughs> that stuff. Yeah, yeah. Why do I keep that by the toothpaste? <laughs> I why do we keep that in hotel
1: rooms? The complimentary <laughs> poison.
0: What were we thinking? I is, know, and we keep the antidote in well, the other room. This that's is
1: just asking that's for That's the trouble. only good thing, is he drank the entire bottle, but it's a mini bottle. Yeah. You know, it's by the, sham- the mini shampoo, well, the mini a, conditioner. It's, it's
0: actually, it's part the of mini the... mini poison. It is part of the mini bar. <laughs> it's very
1: expensive. If it you is. even
0: move the poison bottle, you've got to pay 20 bucks. <laughs> and don't get started on how much the antidote costs.
1: <laughs> Hilda rushes in. She has been told that Davis is dying. Uh-huh. Davis comforts her, comforts her and tells her that it's just a plot to keep Wagner from stopping the show. Then you get that classic moment. Why? It's just like a play. Why? It is. It's also like a movie. It's more like a play. Hilda is sent back to the theater to keep an eye on the show. Wagner and Gribble return with epicac and milk and eggs. Davis is forced to drink the epicac while Faker drinks the milk and eggs.
0: Right. So if you've drank and... Uh, Dranken. If you, if you drank epicac... <laughs> You're power
1: vomiting, for like a while, right? I don't think I don't know if it. I mean, I think you can control. it mean, it makes you nauseous and helps you throw up. It doesn't. It doesn't. It does not have the effect of like in Family Guy where you just turn into like a oh it doesn't a rainbow of vomit. No, because I've never had to take it. I just assumed yeah, yeah. it
0: was something that would immediately get everything out of you at once.
1: Yeah, yeah. Apparently not. And I kind of take it that they know a little bit more about Epicax effects than. The newer I who of only seen its effects in a cartoon. Okay. <laughs> it's such an old timey thing. It's a great scene though. But doesn't it make cartoon. sense that like yeah.
0: we well, got poison? Well you gotta take something to make you throw up. So what would Epicac do that would be good that yeah. would stop you from being poisoned if yeah. it didn't make you throw up? What would, what would Well, it
1: do? I mean Davis does say that if he if he has to do much like move anymore, he's gonna throw up. So he is like, Which keeping you should himself. do,
0: because you're full of poison. Well, he drank a he's, bottle of poison. But he's not really Oh, I understand. So he's
1: trying to not throw it. Oh, I understand that, but okay. if you were okay. legitimately concerned about a poison
0: victim, yeah, yeah, you would take them to the bathroom, yeah, and go and let's make, get yes, that out of you. We, you'd make them and not out. like yeah. you settle down on the bed and let this all. Oh, do I see its what you're job. saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah.
1: yeah. Um, but he kept improving, as Wagner says. Very good. Davis, nauseated by the epicac, <laughs> can no longer keep up the suicide ruse. He dies in the bed too soon, says Miller. An hour too soon, observes Spinelli. But I do like that. He does does a good job Delivering his lines Oh
0: yeah yeah It's fine
1: (laughs) Wagner decides Now is the time To call the police To report the death To keep the police From being called Miller Asks to say a few words Over Davis Wagner agrees After Miller says A few words To further stall they begin to sing "Sweet Chariots" or "Swing Low, Sweet Chariots,"
0: right? And they sing it great. Yeah, beautiful version. Mm-hmm. I know earlier they talked about we got four people here. We could sing "Sweet Adeline." Yeah, well, yeah. Well, you've already done that, so we can't have that. Uh, but yeah, it's 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 fine. Here's the other thing that you know I get works in a play where it's like if oh the publicity would be terrible about someone kill, someone killing themselves in our hotel room. Yeah. Okay, I don't want to be too cynical. That happens in hotel rooms. Yes. People do that. Yeah. It's not going to be bad publicity. Yeah. Who's this guy? He's a playwright. What, what was his play? It was his first play. Oh, who cares? Yeah. You know, yeah. welcome to page 36. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter. It's all right. No one cares. Oh, someone killed themselves in the room. Yeah, that's what, that's what happens. It's true.
1: Just lucky it wasn't a murder. Hogarth, the bill, the debt collector, returns okay. to inform them that Davis isn't at the county hospital. He is set on his way with a silent hail and farewell. I just like that they just hold their yep. arms up and he, yep. he leaves the game. After singing the song, Wagner goes to use the phone to call the police. Miller asks him not to use it as it was it was last used by Davis to call his grandmother. <laughs> Wagner agrees and as he heads to the door he denies any responsibility for Davis's death. Upon opening the door, Wagner is confronted <laughs> by Faker, a knife stuck almost up to the hilt in his chest, piercing a note that blames Wagner for both his yeah. and Davis's suicide. Miller decides that they should take the body outside and dump it in the alley. Sure. Wagner agrees. Yeah. So he and Miller take the body out of the hotel and leave it in the alley where they are confronted by a policeman. They convince the policeman that Faker is drunk and then hurry away into the theater. And they're fine with that.
0: Yeah. Like that you're leaving your passed out drunk friend in yeah. the alley of yeah. the cops. Well. Yeah, he's been drinking. Well, that's, that's fine, fine then. Bye. <laughs> as a, None of my business I'll, as the police officer. I'll carry on my beat. Yep. Like, that doesn't seem to solve any problems,
1: <laughs> that excuse. Top of the evening to you. They convince... Oh, sorry. On stage, Sasha is giving an impassioned performance in front of a mine entrance. And what looks like a play written by Barton Fink.
0: Have Yeah, have we... Yeah. Have we, at this point, at any way, set up what the play is about? Was that mentioned
1: in the... No. No. We don't know what it's about. Yeah. Okay. But it sounds like it's like a, like a play written by Barton Fink. Yeah. It's about labor versus bosses sort of thing, because it was the Depression. Right. And so these are sort of things that were were funded by the the government, you know, to have people criticize It's just weird we
0: haven't mentioned at all what type of play it is. So when I saw the play, I thought like, oh, this is going to be like a musical or something. It's going to be really interesting and just, oh, it's a mine. (laughs) And all these workers in a mine, like, this is the play? Yeah. Okay. And it's like, well, they're going to have a little fun with this. Nope, playing it completely straight until the very end. Yep.
1: Uh, Davis has snuck down. And he's joined Hilda in the audience. To Wagner's horror, a body carried out on the, carried out of the mine. Sorry, to Wagner's horror, a body is carried out of the mine by grieving miners. It is Faker's, the knife still in his chest. The perform- performers on stage begin to sing, "Sweet low, sorry, sweet low, sweet and low." They <laughs> sweet sing and a, low. It's they sing sponsored a, by Sweet and Low. That's right. They sing a a tribute to Sweet and Low. Uh, Saccharine. Saccharine, yeah. No, no, they sing Swing Low, Sweet Chariots again. And as it is being sung, Wagner is further horrified by Davis's sudden appearance at his side and faints. Miller and Benelli support him and with Gribble and Davis, they begin singing along with Sweet Chariots. And that is the end yep. of this fantastic movie that Ian loved so much.
0: Yep. There you go. Uh,
1: yeah. I'm going to give it nine flaming lamps out of ten. <laughs> okay. That's how much I love this movie. No, I I don't hate it. Because I'm not as disappointed as you. I understand how you feel because you just watched this movie. You hadn't seen it before. It's a fudge and play. It's a fudge and play. It's well, not what let, you wanted. They don't let the fudge and Marx you, Brothers you be s- the fudge and Marx Brothers. <laughs> you settle down to enjoy a Marx Brothers film, and you got this. Whereas for me, I settle down to watch this movie. That's not a. It's just a farce. It's a. You know, movie that at the time was probably a. Bit, you know, is it even a farce? I don't know what it is. I don't want you. Call I don't it think anything. there's
0: a. Well, I mean, yeah, we do chase turkeys, but that seems really put on top of the world that we're on. in But it the just world seems like it's a lot of. It's a lot nothing. of
1: switching around of rooms yeah. and people, and fooling you know trickery and yeah. in and outs and stuff like that. You know, which I you know, and a play that is the nature of a play. Either people are in one room talking for a long time with each other, or they're in one room with a lot of people leaving and coming and goings, and yeah, that's the nature of it. Uh I'm going to give this I'm going to give it 5 flaming lamps out of 10. Okay. Fair I don't right. hate it, but I'm just going to give it like 50%. It's a 50% grade. Yeah. for this for this movie. Okay. You know, if I, if I like I say if I saw this movie on TCM uh and it had Joel McCrae and Gene Arthur and some other person who was funny at that time, yeah. you know, it I would have it would be perfectly ex- it would be a perfectly acceptable movie.
0: And they try and they tried something different. And I'm not begrudging anyone for yeah. trying anything different. Uh, it's just very strange. Like
1: I don't like, think the Marx Brothers went for something different. I think they went for the money. Okay. Seppo negotiated a deal for them. Right. They got paid a lot of money, more than they'd ever got before, uh-huh. with a percentage of the gross. And by the you know, and in their minds, by the last two films, they were making a lot of money off those movies. Sure, sure. There's no reason this would not continue the continue that. So they stepped into this. They. Took it as seriously as the Marx Brothers could take anything seriously in their lives. They did it to the best they could. Yeah. They made a boring movie, a boring Marx Brother movie,
0: a boring movie. I don't know if it's a boring Marx. Yeah, I see what you're saying. Yeah. It, as a Marx Brothers movie, it's boring. I don't yeah. think it. I don't think it is a Marx Brothers movie. I'm going to not count this. No, as no, a no. Reason. It's
1: not a Marx Brother movie. And I like yeah. in the Joe Addison, Adamson book, uh, Grocho Chico, sorry, uh, Harpo. And sometimes Zeppo. sometimes Yeah. yeah. Grocho Harpo, Harpo Chico and sometimes Zeppo. Whatever it's called. Uh, he has the books divided into chapters and this has its own chapter and it's just called Intermission. Yeah. And I think he's right. It's not, it's in no way reflection of either what the Marx Brothers were doing before this movie or after this movie. It is completely outside of the Marx Brothers because it's not a Marx Brothers movie. Yeah. It's just a movie that they're actors in but they're not playing themselves necessarily. Yeah,
0: just, just imagine like going from say Duck Soup mm-hmm. to this. Like, oh yeah. Like you couldn't, you couldn't think of like
1: two more
0: radically different films. Yeah,
1: and the weird thing about this movie is because of RKO's situation that it it basically went out of went out of business very early on in the '40s, I think, and it already was in like financial trouble all through the '30s. Just the nature of of of, of the way that the situation of the the because the way that RKO started was RCA invented a sound system that was that fil- was basically sound on the film strip mm. which is the best way to do it but at that point everyone had kind of signed up with a couple of other different different ways of doing it and so they were kind of locked in and so rca were looking for a way to to promote it and to make their own films using it so they teamed up with with rko who were the a vaudeville they were the, the big vaudeville company they weren't called RKO at this point they were like the Keith Albee circuit or whatever so they teamed up with Keith they uh, also they also had another person involved with it I think Joseph Kennedy was involved with it yes Joseph Kennedy and then RCA uh, controlled by uh, who at that time the president was David Sarnoff and they bound together to start producing movies and the interesting thing about about um, RKO is they they hired uh, David O. Selznick as their first kind of head of production And his style was he just created he just created units and he let them produce the films on, under their own, like kind of independently. So he didn't have that much control, partly because they needed a lot of product probably, and so this was an easier way to get a lot of product, that he wasn't like, you know, so hands-on. He'd trusted. And so, for instance, this film is produced by Panjo S. Berman, and Berman produced a lot of musicals and stuff like that for RKO. I mean, RKO had uh, Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire, for instance. Uh, David Selznick's last signing before he was forced out of the company um but yeah and he also felt he could produce more films for cheaper than what they were doing at that time and it was true he could he saved about six million dollars uh-huh. in production cost the way he did it and he produced some pretty interesting films They had some good talent there and but Archeo never seemed to be able to like get out of you know being in receive you know being in receivership yeah. always being behind the eight ball and if and i guess it was finally uh bought by howard hughes who basically used it as a toy in the in the 40s and 50s, and then it kind of shut down finally. And, and, and. but a lot of its movies because of all this disorgana- disorganization, a lot of the movies ended up kind of floating off into the cop- copyright free land, mm. including room service. So it was it's kind of one of those movies that, you know, as a Marx Brothers film, was always available on TV for you to watch. If you couldn't see other ones, this one was on the television. And so, you you know, it's just when people, a lot of people probably saw this film first as a Marx Brothers film. I didn't, thank goodness. Because I wouldn't have reacted to it the way I did f- to the first one I ever saw. Uh, I would have been like, well, that was so-so. Huh.
2: Yeah, it's fine. Yeah.
0: All right, let's listen to the guy on Turner Classic Movies talk about it afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yeah, I'm just, again, I'd love to see someone like... Do you see, mean
1: Robert Osborne? There we go. Uh,
0: and then, yeah, I'd like to see uh, them just uh, watch this. And then it's like, and now Duck Soup. And like, oh, okay, well, let's let's see these fellas and like, yeah, <laughs> what just happened? That is way better. Yeah, well, way better, but like in a, a universe far, far away. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm very curious to see what the rest of the films play out. Like, I know, like, I, I, I've not seen the rest. And, uh, you know, there's been hints from people who have you been know, like, oh, it's all downhill after... Day at the races and I'm like okay, but I'm I'm curious to see like how this goes. This yeah, yeah. was a surprise to me seeing this, and again seeing <laughs> yeah. that it was a play, I was like okay. It seems like <laughs> it seems like work right now watching a, a film that's a play. It's like all yeah. right, all right, fine. Yeah. Uh, but we'll see where things go. So how did this do? How do you mean?
1: How did it do? The film. Oh, I told you, it lost three hundred thirty thousand dollars. Oh, lost. Okay, yeah. but like,
0: was it? How's the critics and whatnot? Like, uh,
1: critics were okay were okay to it, but you feel like with the reviews that they were they weren't marked by their fans. Now, they weren't reviewing it as a marks, but like if, yeah. if you were being a serious critic, you know, it's like it, it's kind of like if you went to a horror movie and then you you panned it because it was too scary. It's kind of like these guys, these guys went to the, this movie and said a good version of the play. If people haven't seen Room Service, yeah. they'll enjoy this it version feels, of it. It
0: feels like yeah, you hire Fred Astaire and they don't let him dance. Yeah, yeah. And it's like okay, we're well, gonna we're gonna we're gonna yeah, we're gonna make him a boxer. Yeah. it's like well, maybe that's not the best idea. But people, so so I'm just wondering, like Mayer, who you have never seen Swing Time. It's a very
1: good Fred Astaire film.
0: I have seen Swing Kids, so okay. Mm. Uh, Anyway, uh, so so Mayor, to go back to where we started, was like, oh, the Marx Brothers' humor—it's out of date. Yeah, it's not this humor they're doing is not right. Uh, I wonder what they what what he thought of this, which was like so not what they normally. Yeah, if they're like this is good mainstream. Mm That, that's what he should like if this was a, a positive for him yeah like this was uh, the kind of thing they should keep doing or uh, they should go back to their you know out of date stuff that he did not care for
1: well that that would be a good conversation for our next movie Ah, uh, which will be at the circus very good uh so we're gonna we're gonna
0: be doing that one and if you're listening to this in real time in two weeks yeah uh we'd love to hear from you it's what we love to do. I'm, I always say this and I leave a pause for Dave to go, but I've got six more pages of just a, <laughs> but yeah, we love to hear from you. If you, uh, and, and you have been doing a good job of, of letting us know. Oh, thank hey, you. Hey, you didn't, oh, very good. Yeah. Tip the hat. Uh, I'm wearing three hats because I'm trying to sneak out of here. Um, <laughs> you have been doing a very good job of mentioning, Hey, you didn't mention that this yeah, actor yeah, is, I really appreciate it. and they're related to this. And that's that. And it's, it's it's much appreciated. Yeah. Uh, if you want to write to us and and see what people are saying, uh, then go, please, to our uh, webpage for our other podcast, Sneaky Dragon. So go to SneakyDragon.com, and there you will find every episode of Full Marks mm-hmm. underneath the episodes, uh, where you could just listen to them on the website if you wanted to. That's how... Uh you know, our parents would listen to it if they listen to our podcast. They don't. But it's the simplest way. You just click on the thing. Uh underneath is a message uh area and we love to hear from you there. Yes,
1: you can leave comments there.
0: If you prefer to email and why not, uh you can do that at uh sneaky d at sneakydragon.com. That's sneaky d at sneakydragon.com. If you like to tweet and maybe you do. Uh, sneaky underscore dragon, that's where we're at. Yep. Uh, we're also sneakydragon.tumblr.com. And there are other things, but you know what? Those are the best. Let's <laughs> just stick to those. Sure. And uh, as we ask every episode, if you enjoy the show uh, or want to recommend it to friends, a nice way of doing that is to go onto iTunes page. Uh, the download page and uh, leave us a little review or a little comment or something that helps people to find the show and we appreciate that. Thank you to the people who have been doing that as well. Uh, we just really appreciate the feedback you've been giving us. It's been uh, very, very nice. Yes. And if you want to hear us talk about other nonsense, uh, Sneaky Dragon is our other podcast. We've done two other sidecasts. One was about the Beatles, every Beatles song uh, ever uh, released. That was called Completely Beatles. That's still available on iTunes as is our podcast about Tintin. Uh, totally ten ten. also available on iTunes or uh, on our website, SneakyDragon.com. You're like, what's the theme? Uh, there is no really theme. It's all stuff that Dave likes and that I want to talk about. So that's that's how we've been doing it. So next time uh, to uh, – I, I want to say at – is it at the circus? At
1: the circus, yeah.
0: At the circus. I always get it confused with the Dr. Seuss book if I ran the
2: circus. Oh, okay.
1: Yes, so don't get them confused. Do not get them confused. One but please book. do enjoy them both. It's that's my favorite Dr. Seuss book. Is it's it? around the circus. Yeah, it's the funniest one. Lovely. And
0: it's big. It's surprisingly a surprisingly big book. Yeah, it is. A, it's one of the largest In books size, there. yeah. yeah. Uh, so, okay. So, you've got two weeks to watch that movie and then join us back here. Or don't. It's up to you. You can live your life the way you want to live your life. Please do. All right. Uh, I've been Ian. I've been David. And thank you for your kind attention. Uh, see you next time on Full Marks.